You are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Godzilla. <laughs> My name is Tom Chick, and to discuss Godzilla with you, the listener, I've brought along Christian Malinsky. Actually, my name has been redacted from the opening credits of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And, Kelly Wand, if we were to have a Godzilla tagline, what would it be? You know what I say when it's Zilla time. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. Let's talk about your absolutely not. (laughs) Kelly Wand is referencing some of the the whip-smart dialogue that you will find in John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China. Because it's another white man Asian collaboration, but it's more successful. <laughs> I see. Or is it Kelly Wand? Because uh, spoiler. Yeah, we'll get into that yeah. in a moment. Uh, I guess before we start, you have told me that I'm in trouble. Is that something that's going to come out at an, another point on the podcast? Yeah, so I think we can, we, wait on, we, we can wait on me taking you to task. Hmm. I'm worried he's going to forget, though. He probably will, in which case I have weaseled out of being in trouble. So awesome. Weaseled. Uh, all right, so Dingus, why don't you tell folks what we saw this week without spoiling it, because maybe some folks, they don't want any major plot points revealed. Like, Wait, you didn't want to talk about trailers for 10 hours? Like we did not, no. So Dingus, don't don't say anything like about you know the number of monsters in the movie or anything like that, or how quickly certain characters die. Don't bring any of that up. Instead, just give us the basics about this movie. Uh, I can't believe you even brought up the word monsters. I think that's a spoiler. <sighs> All right. Well, this week we saw Godzilla. Uh, two thousand. What? What's wrong? It's. I don't recall seeing anything this week. Did we see? Who was in that, Dingus? Uh, in so, what? What year are we talking about again? Yeah. Did what? we see? I don't recall seeing anything this week. What year? Oh, this, time, this week we went to something called Godzilla. Gosh, I don't have much memory of that. All right, go on. Uh, maybe maybe you'll see. Uh, Man, Matthew Froderick. You might you might jog my memory. Go on. Well, it's a 2014. That's right now. They made a 2014 uh, Godzilla. They released it. Man, I say. All right, go ahead. You, you might not have seen. It. You might have been wearing sunglasses or blinders, um, or sitting uh-huh. in a dark room looking at a blank wall. Yeah, I'm not remembering any of this. Go on. I know that's the best way to look at an eclipse is through the wall. Mm, that's a good point. I read. Or you could make one of those tubes where you can look at the reflection of the movie on yeah, the Yeah, Da Vinci invented the moon. What? Nothing. Uh, it's an American science fiction monster movie. What, yeah, Da Vinci? I, I would think that if I saw something this week that had a monster in it, I would have remembered. But go on. I'm still waiting for something to jog my memory. Go ahead, Dinkus. I didn't say it had a monster in it. I mean, at times the monster doesn't show up. Like in uh, Jaws, which I saw compared to, like, yeah, you'd see Spielberg does it. Right. You wouldn't call that a shark movie, would you? No, you'd call it a police procedural. Right. It's a procedural. Exactly. This was no boating accident, this movie. (laughs) He needs a glass of water, or a cup of water. He threw that fucking water in the creek. He needs a license plate. That's what he needs. Dude, the book's so good. According to IMDb, it's about the world's most famous monster and humanity's scientific arrogance. Jaws's? Yep. Jaws's. Jaws's. Uh, <laughs> it was directed by Gareth Edwards. And oh, yeah, by- I know that guy, but I don't think he's done anything since his first movie, which was called Monsters. I'd- it had monsters in it. I'm pretty sure if he made a, a movie about Godzilla, I would have recalled seeing it. Go on. So, no, so he's doing, right now he's doing a found footage movie uh, television show called The River. 
<laughs> Every episode, Tom. How many hours of Diablo hardcore characters died of yours? 40? Uh, Godzilla was written by Max Borenstein. Uh, Dave Callahan <laughs> provided the story. And David Escoyer, Drew Pierce, and Frank Darabont contributed. What? Jesus, wow. <laughs> the dead names are redacted, I think. Yep. <laughs> they, sh- they should be so lucky. Nice. All right. Uh, it stars the back of David Strathairn's head. Uh, Godzilla is rated PG-13 for intense sequences of destruction, mayhem, and creature <laughs> violence. <laughs> Wait, what? That's not real. Yeah. Did you make, did you make these up? No, I don't make it up. It, it creature also, violence. The last thing that the MPA wants us to know is it's PG-13 for creature violence. Do the old ones... Never mind. The old ones? Well, like Gamera... The ones with rubber suits had fucking shitloads more violence. Just like blood and antennae. So mm. man. You might be remembering those wrong. No, I watched them. I mean, part of one. I might have imagined that. No. One of my imagination was pretty... Violent. Watching part of those has gone around. Or Violet. Tom, tell us about numbers. Yeah, I don't know anything about this movie, but it looks like looking here on Metacritic, there was something that opened this week called Godzilla, which is at 62 on Metacritic. Rotten Tomatoes has 72% of the reviews are positive, and uh, Box Office Mojo says it opened number one at $93 million. You'd Ugh. think I would remember seeing something like this, but I, I have no recollection of seeing anything about Godzilla. This it's is the stupidest movie strange. summer ever. It's like a like a mass like redaction. Yeah, I think this is something. This, you guys are pranking me, right? There's there's no Godzilla that came. I don't I don't have any recollection of any of this. May, maybe Kelly Wan, if you were to describe to me things that supposedly happened in this movie, if I had seen it, I might recall some of those. So Kelly Wan, this Godzilla movie that supposedly opened, why don't you synopsize it for us with maybe a Godzopsilopsis? Godzopsilopsis. <laughs> I don't know what you would call such a thing. I'm sure you would have uh, a convoluted name for it. Did I get close to what you would call such a thing? Close. <laughs> Godsopsis! Oh, oh, that! Why, oh, wait a minute. Is there an Asian character in this movie? That does sound vaguely familiar. Maybe like a, a, girl one. a well-known Asian actor who was used to poor effect. Maybe that sounds vaguely familiar. Like- huh. Kelly Wan, go ahead. Godzilla's Asian, isn't he? Let's see if you can jog memory. He is from Japan. Or is he? Yeah, of course he's from Japan. He's from the ocean, though. That's not really like Japan's... Well, even Japan itself is from the ocean. Yeah, but they don't own the Marianas Trench. Or do they? They're going to be rich someday. Is that where Godzilla came out of? I don't know. Is that canon? Oh. I wish we had a guy... I have a good friend of mine who is really super into Godzilla, and I know he hated the movie, and I would love to talk to him about this. Just based on, because I know, I only know, you know, we'll get into that. Name all the Godzilla monsters you can. Go. Uh, Godzilla? Mothra. Um, yep, the one with the three heads that flies. That's Ghidorah. The turtle. Gamera. The one that's named after the famous sculptor, Rodan. <laughs> like um, Really like you. And I think another one is Michelangelo. You forgot uh, Monster Zero and Mecha Godzilla and uh, uh, at any rate, I, I, it, this did, okay, okay. this did kind of make me curious about you know what's the point of the original Godzilla and how much of it must have been completely lost in this thing. So we'll get into that in a moment, but first yeah. I want to hear some of the specifics oh, yeah, yeah. of with a Godzilla lapsus or whatever you call it. I just called it Godzopsis, but I actually like yours better, Godzilla Well, I can't do the I can't do the accent work that you do, Kelly. 
What accent? What do you mean? You just do. You, you're like Meryl Streep with accents, and I just can't live up to that. Well, maybe my Australian, obviously. <laughs> God's Opsis? Rock and roll. Opsis. Some credits are all here. Some conspiracy jokes. No, don't get to read them. <laughs> <laughs> I think to myself, as long as Godzilla's in the movie for as much screen time as those covered up words just now, twenty bucks well spent. <laughs> now that I think about it, though. I think when I was watching this, Chris, I go, that's pretty cool, but I didn't realize that that was actually how the whole movie was going to be. Like, oh, you want to be, nope. <laughs> Nothing for you. <laughs> Don't be greedy. <laughs> Thanks for the 90 mil. <laughs> that wasn't part of the opsis, getting ahead of myself. Some non-covered up words are all, a jungle we filmed helicopter footage over the present day. Some people find a tunnel in the forest that has a complete snake skeleton on the roof of it. They shine a light at it. The chick ones all, wow, whatever creature these fossils belong to even did the digging for us. Meanwhile, Brian Cranston lives in a house with a kid in it and the chick from Prometheus. He tells his phone, look with sod, whatever's going on with your radiation leak today, I'm just not interested. Today's my wife and son's birthdays. He hangs up and goes, I can't find my pants. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm loving your I'm loving your Cranston. You've obviously watched a lot of Breaking Bad. I did. I did. Um, he has a really cool voice. I feel like I'm fucking it up. Luckily, spoiler alert, he's not in the movie long enough for me to fuck up too bad. But ha- what was the wife's name? Skyler, I can't find my pants. Oh, <laughs> that wife. Skyler. <sighs> Dingus even finds that racist. Like Cranston? That's a bad actor I am. No, I'm just sad about the dismissal of Julia Binoche. Now, Skyler is his wife's name in Breaking Bad, Dingus. I know you don't know Breaking Bad, but uh, it, like, if you're part of that the actor. consciousness of people who watch it, Skyler was a very divisive character in the show. So. Wait, Dingus didn't watch Breaking Bad. Uh, I, I watched the first it. season, and I was done. And then, Come on, it's so good. I got as much I, as I'm going to get out of it. And then you guys started complaining about her gaining weight and losing weight. Or that was Tom. Tom was pregnant. Tom's weight. No, I never complained about it. She was actually ill. There was some medication situation. Um, yeah. But I never complained about it. It was just a, it's a, this weird thing that happened in one of the seasons. That's like the next day in the sh- in. Well, right, because it's supposed to be, it's sort of like, you know, Bran hitting puberty in Game of Thrones overnight. Uh, you know, when you draw the filming of a show like that, especially if it's supposed to be a compressed period of time, uh, that can stand out. Well, what are you going to do? I know. What are you going to do? They get in their car, uh, Brian Cranston and the wife and the kid. We're back to Godzillopsis, by the way, Tom. <laughs> this isn't Breaking Bad. That's more for Dingus and Tom. They get in their car and drive to some rain, then park across a busy street and watch their kid run across the busy street while cars honk and smash into each other, and everybody shakes their fists at a fruit cart for not getting hit also. Cranston's all, Fuck, I forgot to give him the stupid box I found in my pocket. Prometheus ladies all, By the way, happy birthday. She takes the box out of his hands and hands it to him. Wait, why is he calling Juliet Binoche Prometheus Lady? Because she looks like Numi Rapace? Yeah. Okay. One of them does. And also she now has an English accent. Doesn't one of them have one? The French lady? Uh, Numi Rapace is... The French lady. (laughs) 
Wait, what were you going to say, Tom? I was kidding about nobody caring. Uh, I think she is a Swede. Oh, like uh, Rose Byrne. <laughs> Prometheus ladies all, by the way, happy birthday, you Bobby. Happy birthday. She takes the box out of his hand. Yes, Tom. Question. Now, now you're doing a Sharni Vincent. She's French. You guys know she's French. Stop it. No, Numi Rapace is a Swede, and, and Juliette Binoche is French. But Dingus, when the French, when a lot of the French speak the English, they sound English. You think they sound Norwegian? That's uh, I summer on the continent, by the way, Tom. That's impressive. Which one? Prometheus, ladies all. By the way, happy bath day. That's my aunt gun, by the way, Dingus. You wouldn't know that. She takes the box out of his hands and hands it to him. He's all, oh, I can't believe I forgot it's my birthday, too. He opens it. There's a little wrapping paper inside and a receipt for pickup sticks and a fortune cookie fortune that says Godzilla's going to kill you today, white man. Thank you for your order. <laughs> Cranston's all, oh, you remembered. She tries to kiss him, but he goes for the handshake. Then he's... <laughs> I wrote this in a hurry. Might be a little dumb. Then he's all, well, thanks again. Guess I got to go to work. She's all, we work together. He's all, Ugh. guess I'll drive since it's your birthday. <laughs> I'm making it sound better than it is. He just constantly puts the car in gear and drives to Tokyo. Her job's to go down a subway tunnel in a radiation suit and then come back on foot. <laughs> I've had a lot of trouble listening to anything in this movie, <laughs> including Godzilla. His job is to sit in a control room with 30 Asian people and George Kennedy and hope earthquakes don't happen. Oh, by the way, it's 1989. Just FYI. Oh. Today, one does happen. You know, that famous earthquake in 1999. In keeping with international safety protocols, everybody in the facility runs screaming or whatever. <laughs> Leaving everyone else to die. Except for Brian Cranston, who stands by a door and urges his wife to run faster. <laughs> but not all the other people she's with, who I guess stop running. When she makes it to the door, she's alone. Well. Wait, did they go back? You know what? I wasn't paid attention. <laughs> movies, one. They were at craft services. Oh, spoiler. Damn it. Dingus. You're not allowed to talk anymore during the opsis, unless no. it's a craft services joke, and neither am I. He's all, no, you're going to make it. Then he shuts the door in her face before some dust gets on him. She's all, uh, too bad this door wasn't down the tunnel more. Uh, I might have made it. He's all, uh, least I can see your face through this window. <laughs> Sorry, it's kind of stuffy out here, too. Nothing happens for 20 years. <laughs> Plus another hour that the movie's about to cover. <laughs> the kid grows into Tron Legacy's Garrett. <laughs> I should just rush these. Just kind of didn't ever have time to set anything up. He lives in a house with Martha Magdalene that has a different kid in it. He goes to his dad's place to tell him mom was overrated. 
When he comes in, Cranston nods sheepishly at stuff on the wall we can't see and goes, I don't get a lot of visitors. Remember that part? That happened. Tom didn't see this movie, so he... Oh, oh, oh that's okay. I, that was, it was in the trailer for half the trailer. I guess bioacoo... <laughs> Fuck. I guess bioacoustics is a word. It won't be pertinent. Speaking of American versions of Godzilla, how's the bomb biz? It's called the Munitions Disposable Recycling Bin Platoon. Damn it, McLean, you need to let Mom go. Also, we don't make bombs, we defuse them. Just in case you're implying otherwise. I know it's a little confusing. Cranston's all, hey, the place where Mom died. (laughs) A guy told me he heard something talking this morning. Let's put on suits and hang out there. Maybe my hefty... Fucking goddamn. Fuck. I hate acting. Maybe my happy birthday banner is still usable. They go there. Cranston takes off his helmet goes, See? There's no radiation at all. <laughs> Just like Close Encounters. The sun's all... Well, bringing that Geiger counter was a master stroke. <gasps> Can't believe no one thought of that before. Wait, there's no radiation? What killed mom? Giant monsters. Or I closed the door on her feet. Some Asians capture them, put Brian Cranston in a supply closet with one-way glass. It's like our boxes. They have a mirror. Asian. And wait for him to say stuff. Remember, they don't even interrogate him because he's the good actor in the room. <laughs> These are fucking dumb. All right, I mean, it's all. They don't want the I'm done talking in the scene. Wait, sorry. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, Dingus, I fucked that up myself. I'm done talking in the scene. Now I want to see my son. This guy, uh, he's not in the shot. He knows where my son is. <laughs> Tom likes the real lines that are from the movie. Yeah, he knows. You can't see him out there, audience. Trust me. He knows where my son is. And an Emmy. You guys by the craft services table, you know. Now I demand to see someone Asian with a white female side chick, or I'm going to keep demanding. They decide based on his whining that he's an honored guest. The white side chick kicks. Fuck. The white side chick. That's is all. Welcome to the Japanese Underground Radiation Monster Interesting Facility, or MUTO for short. It's also a name for the monsters. That's all. Yeah, my bomb disposal unit organization has the same initials, but we don't call it that. Just FYI. Uh. They irradiate some CG, then decide to, quote, kill it by irradiating it some more. The head Asian guy's all, get the visual. This means setting up a guy on a ladder with a flashlight. That's what scientists use. That's almost out of batteries. He shines it down the throat and sees something black and squirmy and throbbing. He looks over his shoulder and goes, yeah, don't worry, it's the... Something interesting happens to him off screen. 
That's what he thought Jaws was. He thought Spielberg cut away from. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a credit. Yeah, I don't think he watched the movie right. Instead of running, everybody stands around and gets pelted by rocks right under it. Sidebar, watching Godzilla gets me thinking about other landmark scientific discoveries. I wonder if when the first caveman farted, it wasn't funny at all, but a tragedy, because none of the other cave people had ever heard one before. So they probably went, fuck, he's going into seizures, somebody call an ambulance, and then their doctor bashed his face in with a rock and went, I can't find anything wrong with him. Brian Cranston gets mortally wounded from falling or something off screen, so they put him in a helicopter. The sun's all, don't worry, Dad, we did it. You were right all along. I mean, the giant monsters don't talk. I think you're still a little high on that shit. Pinkman, your knee's on my sack. <laughs> Shh, Dad, don't try to talk. Sir, if you t- take off his oxygen mask there, he'll die. Shh, I know. <laughs> they slide him out of the helicarrier, and I guess they land. Nineteen more years don't pass, although it feels like it. Meanwhile, in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier, a general's all, All right, people, looking for a monster. It's either in the ocean or Las Vegas. So be sure to wear climate-appropriate gear. Also, the T in these mutas may stand for terrestrial, but as of now, it stands for airborne. We could have got F for flight, but then we'd have to call them mofos. And this is a kid's movie, so... No bloodshed, no swearing. I hope that's okay. <laughs> Scientists who caused this, how can we do it? We're going to need a train to feed the monsters radiation capsules and some parachutes. Everybody leaves except the general and the platoon's standard issue of somber Asian. Nice pocket watch, Tojo. There are facts behind it. It stopped working on August 5th, 1945. <laughs> Well, it's not surprising, given how radiation affects everything. It's sea monsters. Tough break there, long duck. I think it needs to be wound. Oops. <laughs> I can't read this anymore. It's too long. I guess that didn't stop them. Perhaps it is metaphor for a man in a rubber suit stomping on paper mache. A dog poorly chained to a palm tree by owners we never see lives or dies we also never see, along with a girl watching a tidal wave bearing down on her with an expression that's all. (laughs) (laughs) Also, some nearby windows start to crack. The sea monsters also knock the power out citywide for a few seconds with a fart. The side chicks all nature's perfect natural defense mechanism for deep sea creatures. EMP. Meanwhile, Garrett Dillahunt decides his bomb squad background may be of assistance with giant sea monsters, so he rides a train from Honolulu to Tokyo. As he's leaving, a kid grabs his foot and starts sobbing. The train door is shut. <laughs> Chicken station on the other side goes, I leave my son unsupervised by train tracks in city under martial law. <laughs> Bring him back, white man. Where are you going with him? Dingus, you had a question for that lady? We've, we've arrived at the station I was waiting for. She's the only one. Not much to work with. She's still in it more than Godzilla. 
He's all, don't worry, ma'am. I know you can't hear me, but my dad taught me a lot about reassuring women through windows. <laughs> By the way, there's a giant monster right behind you. Good luck. <laughs> Major look. <laughs> Tom's really enjoying the Godzilla. Reassuring women through windows is ingenious. <laughs> That's awesome. Also, I love that David straight there and his Adam Driver, basically. That's Darth Driver to you. Sorry. Remember in Battleship when uh, the cops tasered Taylor Kitsch and then the aliens taser him later? Uh, believe me, I remember Battleship fondly. All right. Garrett Dillahunt's plan of riding the train between the monster's legs comes off without a hitch. After the monster eats a couple other train cars, Garrett Dillahunt watches eight people slide to their deaths. Then the kid starts to... Then he heroically grabs his hand. I guess the monster leaves, and I guess a helicopter shows up and flies to safety, because we see the kid running off to hug his parents while they all ignore Garrett Dillahunt. <laughs> and he's all, yeah, you're welcome. Uh, here you go, kid. Godzilla shows up and looks like he's about to take on the sea monsters. But apparently worried I'll get bored by the sight of giant monsters fighting in 3D IMAX. The movie cuts away from this to a kid on a couch watching. <laughs> Just like Jaws. Just like Jaws, why, man? That's me, no way. My white man voice. His mom's Martha Marcy Magdalene. She's all, Billy, stop watching the news. I'm warning you, for the next five minutes, stop watching the news. I think I'm a nurse. I wish your dad would call, except when I leave the phone in another room. Fuck that guy. (laughs) (laughs) That's her only line in the opposite, I think. And Although she says it in the movie a few other times. (sighs) Meanwhile, in the helicarrier, the general saw... Most part of the only until we have sort of kids watch the news. Noble Asian, what you got? Confucius say it is nature's way for us to make cities, for irradiated aliens and sea monsters to destroy, just as it is in all nature to philosophize in the sea. Mm. Meanwhile, that was him, Tom, by the way, reacting. Meanwhile, the monsters are spotted near San Francisco, so everyone in the city congregates for the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> a bunch of battleships parked there. A guy in Binox looks around. The Admiral's all, well, the dude's all, no. Oh, wait, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a sailor runs up. I don't know what the words in the Navy are. I'm sure they're similar. And goes... Sir, the sea monster's under us. He's making waves, sir. All our boats are going up and down. We're getting a little seasick. Over. The Admiral saw. Okay, uh, why are all our torpedoes downwards? There's an EMP noise. All the ships lose power. The Admiral saw. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Remember, they're surprised by that in the movie. All the way to the end. Like, fuck, electronics. Fuck. Wow. What do we do? Meanwhile, a school bus driver rubs his window and smears condensation all over it so he can't see. <laughs> a kid's all, there's a defrost button on the dashboard there. The driver's all, Shh, Godzilla starts eating the bridge. Everybody runs around shooting at the bridge cables and the battleships so the bus can't move. 
<laughs> I'm really not changing much. But <laughs> I'm really not. It's almost like the exact same shots, but with different music. I provide that music, Dingus. But the bus driver tricks the police and army by honking his horn heroically. Because he's from the streets. Which makes them all scatter wave in their arms, and it also makes all the obstacles that run his way vanish. Doesn't he stop because something gets in his way, and then he honks the horn? Oh, that's the uh, object. <clears throat> Meanwhile, Garrett Dillahunt and his army buddy walk around on some train tracks at night looking for shit to do. <laughs> Even though Garrett Dillahunt's already 0 for 1 at train tracks for the movie, Garrett Dillahunt's buddy's radio goes. <laughs> The buddies all train tracks based near Godzilla. Hello? Uh, train tracks to static. Uh, your last transmission was unreadable. Repeat. Are you listening to this? Monster killing us. Stop transmitting while we're talking. Volume control on the side. All right, come on, guys. I wasn't listening. Please repeat. The monster shows up, but they don't do anything, so it leaves. As we learned from the news crawl on the TV screen, the kids watching, the general says something like, Safety's the most important thing. So they decide to drop a nuclear bomb in the middle of San Francisco and hope that the monster's there. Garrett Dillahunt uses his bomb defusal to start a fire that makes one of the mutos stop teabagging Godzilla. (laughs) (laughs) Fire, radiation, same thing. Sea monster, land. Garrett Dillahunt's all, cool, my mom's avenged, and my dad, and that dog. He takes a nap. A helicopter. <laughs> they really give a shit about his life in the movie. A lot. I'm just saying. Compared to everything. They give him a lift to the bed store on the hammock, the helicopter. Godzilla's body rests in the middle of San Francisco. The general's all, it's dead. Send up the uh, guy with the flashlight. <laughs> the guy's all, yeah, this time I'm pretty sure it's... Oh! <laughs> Up and yawns and walks to the ocean, trampling thousands of cheering residents on <laughs> a newspaper headline. It's all Godzilla, savior of city, except for Honolulu. President Obama congratulates Godzilla on the destruction of Hawaii, offers him White House. The left column headlines all Phyllis Diller nominated for Grammy. <laughs> That's the end of that. Surprise ending, Tom. Phyllis Diller. I may vaguely recall having seen some of this now. So it is kind of coming back to me. You know what? This movie, okay, Roland Emmerich Godzilla is the skyline to this one's Battle LA. Because in Battle LA, you don't even see the battle. Well put. Absolutely. And Emmerich, you laugh. Like at least stupid jokes in the Roland Emmerich one. And I think the part of the that analog Kelly wand is that I wouldn't care to ever see Skyline or Battle LA again. Yeah. Or the Emmerich Godzilla. No, but of course not, yeah. This is the worst one. It's worse than Battle LA. It's worse than the Amherst Godzilla. It's worse oh, this is yeah. There's, there's, it's, it's absolutely forgettable and it's terrible and it's poorly done and it, it, fuck, it's a waste of actors and whatever special effects company worked on this for obviously a long time and certainly marketing money and I, I don't know. It's a total waste. I mean, they'll make their, some money, but uh, just what? A, Who fucks? How can you be such a bad writer that you even fuck up a Godzilla script? I don't. I mean. I think a lot of the. I wonder how much of it is like studio stuff. Thing is, did you get to watch all of Monsters or just the early parts? The characters are good in Monsters, even, aren't they? No, I watched the whole thing. So I, I, I get a sense from Monsters that Gareth Edwards has, 
you know, working under the constraints of a of a really low budget indie movie, he had some clever ideas. But my guess is, just he, you know, when the studio throws this money at him and has him do a franchise, he's just not allowed to do anything interesting. And I'm trying to be charitable to the poor guy, uh, but I, I get no sense. There's there's actually one little touch in this movie, and it was so ham-handed that it reminded me of Monsters. Uh, but otherwise, I got no sense that this is the same guy who did a relatively understated and, and decently well-made uh, indie movie about giant monsters. Uh, and so maybe it's the studio's fault. Who knows? But Well, not everyone you give a shitload of money to... Knows how to translate it to a meaningful movie, movie. yeah. Well, there weren't action sequences in Monsters. <laughs> Uh, well, the, the, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it didn't rely on that. It wasn't like a big Heather budget thriller like this. Yeah. So I think when, when someone like Gareth Edwards is then, you know, given all this money, he doesn't understand the fundamental truth that no one does. Use like- it, well, no, no, that, that use this money, at least Roland Emmerich understands, use the money in your special effects budget to show amazing spectacle. Uh, and even, you know, 2012, 2012, Mr. Guillermo del Toro, well, I, I mean, that's a whole other thing. Like, Guillermo del Toro knows how to translate money into cool stuff, even if it doesn't work for us. Uh, Roland Emmerich, I still think, is a hack. He's a terrible yeah, movie maker. But at least what? he knows No, at least he knows in a crappy movie like 2012 to make the stupid sequence where John Cusack is driving a limo through Los Angeles trying to escape to make it play like a thrill ride. Yeah. Gareth Edwards doesn't even understand that. Yeah. I mean, it was almost like a joke how frequently we were deprived of being able to see spectacle. Like when Godzilla, when the Battle of Honolulu is going to start, he cuts away. It's After the Godzilla, yeah. yeah, he trashes cities when we're not watching and yeah. we just see a swath rip through a city. Gareth Edwards has no idea what to do with a big budget spectacle, it seems. But they think that's Jaws. Like, oh, yeah, we'll see Spielberg did it. Who are, now, you bring oh. that up a few times. Where have you heard that? Like, who's saying I read that? some article where they go, it was like, the, the theme of the article was like how their theory, their angle was like how long into the movie before you show the monster and like oh you got to wait too long but in this one but it's like Jaws is a special case because it gives you other shit when the monster's not on screen but in I this movie there's nothing right entertaining going on that Jaws thing I kind of disagree with because I think that's a staple of monster movies I, I recall seeing a re- I I really like this this one there's an old fifties movie called Them about giant ants, oh, yeah, the ants. and and them is really clever about you not only does it not show you the monster like you don't really know what it is for the longest time there, that's a classic tenet of how to create suspense but it depends on the movie and it depends on the director and in this it's like right but i think so often that, that spielberg gets credit for somehow inventing that in no, no, and I, I don't feel that he did uh well i'm saying that's the crutch they're like they're going see that's why because i think there's a lot of People like us are going. How come there's so? How come it takes an hour to get to Godzilla and then he's still not in the movie? I think they intentionally thought that when they were shooting it, though. They have to because how could you possibly cut away? Like they got through. They had to show this to a bunch of suits, and the suits didn't go. Where's Godzilla? How come you're cutting away from like the one thing? Our three-year-old minds even would. Yeah, I guess that's why I can't help but think. I mean, like, oh, I guess art. Wasn't Gareth Edwards getting notes about show us more Godzilla, show us more action scenes? Uh, needs more execs. Needs more cooks at the broth. Didn't Legendary also do Pacific Rim? Legendary, the studio. I, I can't remember. They did Dark Knight, but then they did Dark Knight Rises too, and Jumper. I should point out. But I, th- I think they're also Pacific Rim, even. And that at least Pacific Rim knew, you know, take that money and make cool stuff with it. Uh, you know, Pacific Rim had other problems, but the lack of spectacle and, and the lack of, of showing that, that was not one of the problems. Uh, yeah, and it looked. 
seemed like it, like it knew what it was, like whether it works or not. It was kind of like the whole way through. We should find out, Dingus. Maybe you loved this. We're I'm sorry. We're uh, get in here, Dingus, because uh, you might just be keeping quiet because you don't. You're ashamed to admit that you really, really liked this movie. Uh, no, I think it's it's absolutely horrible, and, and the, the, its greatest sin is that it's it's a monster movie that's boring, and it's not even a monster movie. Um, I, the thing is, and the reason you're in trouble is that I think Monsters is is freaking brilliant. I love oh. it. I, I absolutely okay. love it, and okay. I think the one moment in Godzilla that works is cribbed from Monsters, and I think right. the, the whole thing that happens is that. Somebody says, we want that moment. What do we have to do to get it? You have to let me direct that movie. All right, so if we can have that moment, then we're just going to lift that out, take the rights, and then you can direct our... I mean, basically, it's, it's this, he does so much with so little in Monsters. And this is the opposite. This is so little with so much. I don't understand what... I, I cannot understand the purpose of making this movie other than it's a scam to try to make however many millions they made on the opening weekend to recoup, I don't know, whatever millions that they, they spent to make the movie. Because it feels like watching a scam. Uh, sure it's high on Rotten Tomatoes, considering... Kelly, yeah, I think it's another thing where it's almost like horror movies. Like People don't know how to review or what to expect from a, a genre. Anything called Godzilla... They're going to go, yeah, at least he's in it for 30 seconds. They're going to go, yeah. I mean, but uh, Kelly Wand, have you seen Monsters? Yeah, I loved it. I agree so, with Well, and my the, problem with – go ahead. Okay, well, just like the best, char- the best scenes in that movie are, are with the humans. Like I like my, how monsters look. And that's my problem with Monsters is I didn't feel uh, – I, I, I didn't at the time know who Scoop McNary was, so maybe I wasn't ready to enjoy a Scoop McNary performance. But I thought the relationship between him and that woman who's actually his real-life wife, uh, that there was no chemistry there. Well, and I thought – Stuart Masters I, thing going on, I kind of liked. Okay. They had a what thing going on? She just had that Mary Stuart Masterson quality where it kind of like tricked me into liking every scene of the movie she was in, don't they have? What I was going to say is that one of the reasons I think that it's important that that relationship works is that the point of the movie is to parallel that relationship with the monster's relationship. Right. Uh, And I feel if that fundamental relationship and so much of the movie is watching that relationship develop, and I love – you know, I like how understated a movie it is and how it's not about the spectacle uh, and how it's so much about the aftermath. Um, and I feel that if they can't make – if they're going to rely on so much of that movie to be between Scoot McNary and whatever that woman's name was, uh, that that really – that's like a fundamental part of what they should accomplish that I felt was missing. They, I like the scenes with the guy, the Mexican guys on the boat. I like those yep. dudes. And, and the guy they haggle with for the boat, was that guy was great. And it's a great imaginative use of setting and the, and the yeah. kind of backstory. I guess I agree with your complaint, actually. But I still can't But the thing is, yeah, and it's, it's a really cool way to do a giant monster movie. And it was subversive, and it had some clever stuff to it. And I love the, what few effect sequences there are, considering that it is a low-budget movie. Um, and I love the so, – so, Dingus, when you say the one moment that you liked in Godzilla cribbed from monsters, it's – because we may be thinking of different things. Maybe we're thinking of the same thing. Uh, explain what that moment is. What's what's the uh, what's the parallel you see in both movies? Well, the actress's name is Whitney Abel, um, and uh, what I liked about what what I loved so much about that I didn't know that they were married um, is that I I actually care about the two of them, and that provides tension for me. I I constantly felt tense during Monsters that 
um, monsters were going to appear at some time and ruin things. I never felt that about this. I constantly felt during Godzilla is, I wish some monsters would come in. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like Cloverfield, who eats everyone, all those yeah. years. Well, people. Cloverfield is a great example. I mean, yeah. and we, we watched the trailer and we're like, did you just take a couple images from yeah, Cloverfield and throw them in here? Because none of this is like in... None of this is in the movie I watched, and by the way, this trailer uh, looks like it was filmed in something approximating color, uh, whereas the movie we watched was filmed in black and white with blinders on and sunglasses. Um, so, Because uh, of the 3D, you mean? No, I didn't see it in 3D. It's just the, the oh. entire movie is in darkness, and what's not in darkness, they close closet doors, so you can't see what's going on behind them. Hmm. I saw it in 3D and wondered why most of the time, so I don't oh, know. Oh, you did see it in 3D? Yeah, I go, oh, that's a 3D IMAX. Because it's how I, well, I fell for it. What? I'm angry. I'm upset. <laughs> I, I told everyone, I go, dude, do not see it in 3D. There's not anything in this movie that's remotely 3D. And so, yeah, why would you go in the first place? Because I'm dumb. But it's, I'm, it's I'm such happening a, again. It's such a dark it's, movie. I can't imagine seeing gravity it. Gravity tricks. Anyway, yeah, that was the, moment, the moment you're asking about, Tom, is the moment where the... the um, the monsters nuzzle each other and they right. have like a, a moment of intimacy actually, right. uh, uh, which is the most interesting and exciting moment in Godzilla. If you can say there is such a thing when, when you know, and then the monster hands the other, the nuclear dildo. Um, but other than that, <laughs> what? <laughs> that's, that's kind of what happens. That's what happens. No, it's not kind of what happens. That uh, is what happens. That's what happens. Um, and uh, then, I don't <laughs> Okay. I don't know what Tom saw. <laughs> the, w- one Mothra hands the other Mothra the uh, the. Those were Mothras. No. Well, no. There, there's a Mothra moment early in the movie where there's a fish tank. Oh, right, I saw that. But, uh, I didn't know if there was a precedent for these guys where I was supposed to relate them to some other Godzilla movie that I hadn't seen or. No, okay. I, I don't think so. But one of them flies, and I saw the word Mothra earlier on, so I just decided to call them Mothras. But but. There's that moment of intimacy between the monsters, which is the most interesting moment in Godzilla, where, oh, gee, something human happened between two monsters, and we get to see two monsters doing it. But that's totally taken from the movie Monsters. It's it, That's the best moment in the movie Monsters, and it's, and it's well, something it's the payoff, that... it's I think, in the movie yeah. Monsters. I mean, it's the culmination of that movie. Um, right, and, and I think that's what gets Gareth Edwards this job, basically. So they're like, oh, that's really cool. Let's do that in our movie. But don't show in, don't show the titular character at all, and don't show anything else interesting. Well, when it happened in our movie, I got the sense that I didn't feel that, like, I immediately recognized it from Mark. They were the bad guy. Oh. I mean, well, I didn't, because I didn't see it till after we saw Godzilla. And that's, what, that's why it was kind of striking to me. I was like, I don't know that people who haven't seen Monsters... Like, it, the, the, it makes no sense here. I mean, we know they're meeting to mate or whatever, but to, to create this this recognizable moment of affection between these two yeah. creatures, there's no point, there's no reason to make that point in Godzilla. Yeah, we're rooting so, against those guys. Yeah, and there's a reason to make that point in Monsters. And, you, you know, the, <laughs> yes. what, what Godzilla is about, ultimately, is... And Ken Watanabe has to spell it out for us. Is this idea of, of nature versus man and man's arrogance and you know the nuclear bomb destroying the environment and that's terrible. Uh, so why do, why put this moment about you know creatures have affection as well? That affection is a universal part of anthropomorphic creatures. No no no, because that's not even the point of monster. It's not trying to anthropomorphize them. It's trying to show. That's all I mean. No, isn't it trying to? Uh, trying to link man to, to nature that we've we've removed ourselves from nature. I, I, think, no, I, think, I think it's trying to show that that intimacy, that affection, is part of life, 
and that you don't have to make a divide between human and nature and monsters. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, and that it's not, it's not, and that's not anthropomorphizing. To, to show commonality right. in all life is not to apply human values to something that doesn't deserve that. I only meant the Godzilla scene, which I thought you were referencing. But that's, that's, that's the point of doing it in monsters, and why put that point in Godzilla <laughs> when that is never what Godzilla has been about? Godzilla eventually becomes this, you know, he becomes a defender, almost like a, like a Batman who defends humanity even though he's often reviled. Right. Shoot tanks at him. Well, he's yeah, like no. a, a gigantic, he's a, he's a deus ex machina, but the whole movie is his being a deus ex machina. He's just a oh. god machine for saving us from something else. The guy who invented him said that Godzilla's thing was always like he was against other monsters, but he didn't like humanity either. But he was just like a force for destruction in general. And I can imagine, like, I don't know the Godzilla movies. I haven't seen them since I was a little kid when I just watched them for the destruction stuff. But I can imagine yeah. that that's an interesting yeah. angle to take with a monster. Um, and, uh, you know, here it, it's ridiculous here that that final headline on the crawl where it says, yeah, <laughs> Where it says "Savior of our city?" question mark Like, what's that? Where did that really come from? Basically, that on, yeah. Because because he has killed thousands of people. Right. You know, it's it's ridiculous that that tsunami scene. Clearly, like people are drowned and, and crushed uh, by the cars kids. and children, exactly. And and how you're supposed to somehow root for Godzilla for just killing thousands of people with the act of coming ashore? He's not doing it out of malice. He's just such an incredible force right. of destruction to then at some point in the next, I presume it's 48 hours? Like, how long is it? I don't know. Within a week, they decide that he's the savior of the city. <laughs> right? Well, the, ad- the general wrote that. No, no, it's a news – cr- oh, like that oh, yeah. was that was the press release issued by the Navy. Right. Well, he's all safety first. Well, yeah, they also let him go back to the ocean. Like, all right, our problems are over. Godzilla's alive and back in the ocean. Thank God that's over. Because that's what I'm thinking at that point, too, when he gets up. I'm like, okay, he's probably crushing a bunch well, of people. Well, I, re- I mean, I totally root for Godzilla because he kills every- a bunch of people. Like, to me, that makes him cool. Well, I <laughs> maybe, imagine- maybe he just likes fighting. I mean, I, I think it's cool too. I don't know for sure, but I would imagine that. But that people wouldn't go, yay! You imagine? I'm sorry. What? I, I would imagine that that's part of what what the the Japanese Godzilla, the 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 early ones, struggle with is this idea that that all of this destruction is necessary to save the planet from more destruction, and that is the rationale behind dropping the, the nuclear bombs on yeah, Japan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and so that's that's a fundamental part of what you kind of have to grapple with with Godzilla is and, and don't shy away from it but 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 they don't. the fact that well they they do in that they're not there's so certain, not a struggle well no it's sanitized in the way that because that it's PG thirteen right. it's not really something that's that's a part of this kind of movie and it certainly this movie has no awareness of that even as an issue you know right. Godzilla just magically becomes savior of a city and nobody's talking about the fact that Godzilla of course killed thousands of people and that's that's that I would think should be a fundamental part of what Godzilla is about. It's the dropping of the nuclear bombs on Japan, the fact that you've got to inflict terrible destruction to save the world from more destruction, and and that therefore, you know, Godzilla when he gets up to walk back out into the, out into the sea, yeah, thousands of people are probably right. dying, but it saved the world from being overrun by these terrible parasites. Uh, and to have the movie playing this ridiculous triumphant fanfare, yeah. and the news crawl about the savior of our city, it's just so ham-handed, and that must be why people who were really into Godzilla 
as as a as a story as as a mythology must hate this movie as well. Well, that, yeah, I am one of those people, and that was making it was infuriating me. Even though I agreed with the headline, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, because he likes America. That's the implication that was annoying me. It's like, Godzilla comes to America and saves it. Like, hey, no. Let, let's, get it, let's get the action out of Tokyo real quick. Right. It's the best way. Okay, we'll start in Honolulu. Yeah, <laughs> then we'll go to San Francisco. Uh, Just because it has a landmark that's that they can fuck with. I mean, at least Michael Bay has the world uh, being saved. For, you know, at least the world is at stake. All the different nations of it in Armageddon. And there's Ugh. a space station. There's a Russian astronaut. You know, at, at least he's not. Rob How do you shoehorn in at least a Michael Bay reference? Because actually, Godzilla does appear in Armageddon. Do you guys realize that? There's the scene where the asteroids are coming to, to the asteroid splinters are hitting New York, and uh, there's a guy hawking little Godzillas, and he's got a cute little dog who doesn't actually the dog dies, I think. Uh, and there's little Godzillas that appear on screen, little Godzilla toys. Um, Chupacabra's in Deep Impact. Jesus. <laughs> what is this, Jared Edwards? He's charging the Britney. God, he was bacon. Kelly Wand, I won't have you badmouthing Garrett Dillahunt. <laughs> I seriously I like him. Because Aaron Taylor Johnson is just totally vacant in this. Are you kidding? He popped up for it. He totally got in training to play Batman. Bu- buff all you want. How about having a personality? Can you buff your personality? I didn't know that was him. And if you're gonna if you're gonna have a movie where you need exposition, do not have Ken Watanabe delivering it. God, I can't understand what he says. Well, I like I said, I blame the writer first at all. Well, there is an upside. to... The upside to all of this is that Kelly Wand finally knows who Sally Hawkins is. Yeah. Who? Job. <laughs> and by the way, Mon- Monsters is just great. I think it's a great movie. I think it's really great. And Scoot McNary. God, that guy. Has it Godzilla been a found footage? Oh, yeah, it was Cold Cloverfield. <laughs> it's been done. Yeah. Uh, let's do a three by three. I feel like we talked about it too long, even. Even though that was short. I've forgotten it already. Talked about what, Kelly Wand? Exactly. At least Prometheus was funny. What's you know what? It was funny, though. Exactly. Touche. Uh, all right. Let's do a three-by-three three about parties. Uh, what's that What's that reaction, Kelly Wand? I think, it was, I, I think I whiffed on it personally, but I think it's a great topic, and I look forward to hearing the listeners in yours. I do understand. I have it on good authority that there are parties in Zapped. So maybe yeah, we'll find out more about those. Uh, who's three-by-three three is it next week? I forgot to ask. That would be mine. Dingus, since it's your 3x3 three three next week, why don't you start us off with your number three favorite party in a movie? All right, my number three favorite party in a movie. Um, Maybe give us a line from it, by the way. Or here's the line. War does funny things to men. Uh, why is someone at a mountain? Oh. What would you say? Brokeback Mountain? What's Tom? Yes. Star Wars? Don't know that I knew this. Uh, no, I have I have not uh, listed this movie in a while, so I felt comfortable doing this for my number three. And this is the cast uh, or the the party at the very end of the movie Rushmore. Um, they're doing like a, this great big uh, cast party for the play that he's just done, and he uh, he gets 
the DJ to change this, the song. And part of why I use this is that I spent the week, and I, told, I was talking to Tom about this earlier, I spent the week thinking about Tom having told us about parties and thinking he, the caveat he put is that it has to be significant to us. I'm like, why is this significant to me? Oh, well, yes. I've, been in, I've been in a ton of plays. I've been in a ton of cast parties. And, and it's weird, sort of that dynamic that goes on. And I love the dynamic in this particular scene. I love the way that the scene is set. But what, what Tom really said is party scenes that have some significance in the movie. It's not just like, hey, we stumbled into a party scene and we're moving on now. It has significance in the movie. It's not necessarily significant to you. But I mean, as it turns out, all three-by-threes are significant to you if you're doing it right. So anyway, it's that it's that party at the very end of Rushmore where uh, where Max gestures to the DJ to change the song. He doesn't get to dance with the teacher. He's dancing with, with Mark instead. And um, that's realistic. He's got sort of this realistic thing that's going on. He's got this crush on the teacher. He's not going to get her. Um, and he's focusing on the person he should be focusing on, but he still has while he's dancing and this happened to me in tons of dances in high school where I'm dancing with somebody and I'm looking over at that girl that I wish I could be, but she's never going to go for me because I'm just not in her league. And so this is that moment. Does the the chick you're dancing with notice that you're doing that? I'm sure she does. Girls are very intuitive. Hmm. I mean, if you you already got, you just just love the one you're with. That's absolutely true, but it takes a while to learn that lesson. Oh, I see. Yeah. That's a good point. I'm still learning it. Uh, is it, this cast party is not? Uh, does Luke Wilson show up to this? Um, I think he is at one of the tables, isn't he? Mm. Oh, are he? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Dingus, if you really like Olivia Williams, you should see Sabotage with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I say so. Oh, no. If you really want to support her career, <sighs> why do you got to ruin everyone for me? Just like Rose McGowan and Conan. Oh, speaking of uh, uh, ruining things for you, Kelly Wand, do you know there's a TV version of Rosemary's Baby? Ugh, what? How's yeah. that possible? How many seasons can that shit go? It's a two-episode well. miniseries thing on ABC. I had no idea who were, who plays the twin, uh, twins. Wait, it's uh, a miniseries? Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, is, it, is it Zoe Saldana? Who's the woman in it? I forget. What? That's a bad choice. She's not frail enough to play. You got to look like you're gonna fucking keel over. But you're about to exactly, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a, yeah. So it's ABC. What do you think of that? Zoe Saldana's Rosemary. That's uh, and let's see, her husband Adam is Adam Sandler. Oh no, that I would see. Uh, oh no, J- Jason. No, that can't be right. Jason Biggs. Jason Isaacs is the uh, is uh, Roman. You know, they're neighbors. They're crazy yeah. neighbors. Like Who's it. Ruth Gordon? Child I don't Bo- know. Carol Bouquet. I don't know who that is. Is her name? Oh wait, she's the chick from For Your Eyes Only. Wait, that's probably wrong. Is Charles Grodin in it? That would be something. You're right, Kelly Wand. She is the girl from For Your Eyes Only. Really? You know that? Yeah. Damn, you're good, Kelly Wand. I know all the Bond chicks' names. Wow, that's impressive. I don't know all the Bonds names. Have I ruined Rosemary's Baby for you now? Um, did you know when the he the guy who wrote the book wrote a sequel, and at the end of the sequel, you find out Rosemary was dreaming. No, shut up! Don't tell. I me. swear to God, and I shut up. I refuse to hear what you just said. You, the, when you say something like in the sequel, you found out that blah blah blah. None of that makes any. It's like he wrote it like thirty years later. Can I change my, one of my parties to the the party at the end of Rosemary's Baby? <laughs> There's a lot of good parties in that movie. There's the one where they try and make her. They give her the chalky undertaste. Shit, that's not a party. 
What about the party in the laundry mat room? Not a party. <laughs> Kelly, Wan- oh, well, Kelly Wan, I can't wait to hear what your definition of, uh, is of party. So why don't you give us your number three pick? My number three pick is in uh, the movie Bachelor Party, where the mule does coke. But the thing I learned from that movie as Dingus, it was Dingus, right? That was you. Was it you? It was you. Well, it was what me? I did not, well, what are you talking I did not do coke at, with a mule or whatever it was. No, I meant, is this your top? Hey, that's not it, true. This is Tom's it's topic. <laughs> okay, yeah, because Tom's the party one of us. Um, <laughs> He's the party well, animal. Bachelor Party is a really good movie because, and it was kind of a movie that inspired me because in, Tom Hanks is like a school bus driver in it who's marrying Tawny Katane, and she's like super rich, but he's actually convincing in it because he just has this like not give a shitness. And, like, the dad's like, by the way, I really am bummed you're marrying my daughter because you're annoying, you're stupid, you're obnoxious. And then, like, cuts away to, like, Tony Katane saying something to the mom. And then it cuts back to the dad, and he's, like, still going. Like, you're dumb, you're illiterate, you fart. Like, he just keeps going. And then Tom Hanks, like, whistles for a dog that's not there to try and feed it. So prove to me that you can get Tony Katane by being a total buffoon in public. And that seems to have been borne out. All right, bachelor party. Milda's coat. <laughs> Dingus, have you seen bachelor party? Uh, not in thirty years. Yeah, me either. It's also no, there's no. It's one of those no redemption comedies. Spoiler! Thanks for ruining the end of it. Now I, now I don't need to see it. No, well, one where Tom Hanks plays tennis and just hits it over the fence every time. Yeah, and it gets hits a guy's head at like the thirty eighth time. Is that I, the one I, where? Oh, go ahead, Dingus. I, I just remember that being the one laugh I had in that movie is that, is that he ca- he keeps calling like home runs and like just smacking the ball over the fence. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. The whole movie's that dumb. I remember he's like a photographer. No, it might be his friend. It might be Adrian Zmed is his buddy. Mm. And um, wait, who's it? Uh, Wendy Jo Sperber's in it. That's not a real name. You just threw together a bunch of letters. From Bosom Buddies. So it's, in a way, a Bosom Buddies reunion. Uh, my number three party. Uh, I have it, it brought me around on this actor who I hated. I liked him when I saw this movie. I saw him in another movie and hated him. I went back and saw this movie and decided I like him again. Uh, I'm going to go on record as recommending a movie called 21 and Over. Uh, tw- <laughs> what? Why do you say it like that? Do you know? I don't know. Do you even know really what this is? Yeah, it's the dude who. Uh, it's the Asian dude. So it's a guy. Uh, there's two writers. They're mainly writers. They directed this. They're, their names are John Lucas and Scott Moore, and they wrote. They're famous for writing the Hangover movies. Uh, they also wrote, by the way, a, a body switch movie that I officially approve of called The Change Up. Oh, they wrote that. Yep. But then at one point, they decided they got to direct something that they'd also written, so they directed a movie called 21 and Over. And 21 and Over, for all intents and purposes, looks like Hangover, but with college kids. Right. And it looks terrible. But I maintain that it is, uh, you know, the, the basic idea of Hangover is what if you get so wasted that you have no idea what happens, and so, what happens, so you have to solve a mystery. Um, that's kind of what's going on in, in 21 and over. And, dude, where's my car? <laughs> Very good, Kelly Wand. Yeah, I don't know that they had anything to do with that, but they were obviously influenced by it. Yeah. 
Um, so, so 21 and over, uh, they are not the ones that get wasted. Influence. Uh, the, the two lead characters. So here's another thing they do in 21 and over is rather than having Bradley Cooper and Ed Helms as the straight guys and then Zach Galifianakis as the comic relief, they just have one character as the straight man and then one character as the Zach Galifianakis dude. So the Zach Galifianakis in 21 and over is an actor named Miles Teller who, uh. I, when I saw, I know exactly, Dingus. When I saw Twenty One and Over the first time, I was like, "Wow, this guy's really good," and he is responsible, along with an actress named Shailene Woodley, for me seeing a movie called Spectacular Now. And Miles Teller is so incredibly grating and smug and just annoying in that movie, and he's terrible to this this wonderful character played by Shailene Woodley, and he does awful dickhead things to her, and she's just so into him, and the movie makes no sense. And it's horrible. And I was like, okay, F you, Miles Teller. I, want, I don't want to see anything you're in again. So going back to see 21 and over, where he's not supposed to be the straight guy. He's not supposed to be sympathetic. A woman like Shailene Woodley's character in Spectacular Now wouldn't give him the time of day. He is perfectly cast in 21 and over. And the straight man in 21 and over, and Dingus, here's where I'm going to win you over, is a guy named... Uh, I had to write this down because I don't. His name is Skylar Aston, and Dingus, you know him as the boyfriend in Pitch Perfect, the really ah. sincere guy, and he's he's a he's a great sincere guy, and he's so good playing opposite Anna Kendrick in that movie. So Skylar Aston is the guy the audience roots for in Twenty One and Over, and he's incredibly likable. Um, and Miles Teller is his idiotic, wacky sidekick, and. The person who has lost his memory, the, the movie is basically about them out partying with a friend of theirs, the third guy who would be like the Doug in the Hangover movies, um, is a guy who has a, an interview to, to, to medical school the next day. So they're going to celebrate. And this guy, and there's a weird thing in both Hangover and 21 and Over where apparently um, John Lucas and Scott Moore think that Asians are hilarious because there's a wacky Asian role in okay. 21 and Over, and it's this guy, Jeff Chang, who has a medical school interview in the next morning. And Jeff Chang gets so wasted at their first party that they have to spend the rest of the night figuring out where Jeff Chang lives to get him home. And that's the mystery, is these two guys with their drunk buddy trying to figure out where their drunk buddy lives so they can get him home. And as they're finding out where he lives, they find out more and more weird stuff about him. So the mystery of 21 and over begins as where does Jeff Chang live and finally becomes what the heck is up with Jeff Chang? This is crazy. Um, so at any rate, the party in 21 and over, which, again, I really think is good. I quite like this movie. Um, it, 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 it sort of encapsulates the quest nature of these movies. They come to a party. It's a dorm. And they have to talk to one of the RAs in the dorm to find out Jeff Chang's address. And they go into the dorm, and there's a party going on. And the RA is at the top floor. However, you're not allowed up the floors until you accomplish a challenge on the floor below it. So it's, I think it's called like the Tower of Power or something. They have to get to the top story of this dormitory party by doing a different activity on each floor. Uh, and that right there is like the, the quest nature of the movie in one little compacted set. It's like Game of Death with Bruce Lee. Where he has to go up each story, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar spits snakes at him. Oh. Exactly like that, but without uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and spitting snakes. Yeah. 
but with an Asian character instead. With a wacky Asian. Well, what they do is they they he's Jeff Chang is so trash and he's so out of it. They don't know what to do with him while they're doing the quests. So what they decide, Kelly Wand, is that the safest place to leave him while he's passed out is with stoners. So, That's so they, generally true. They, yeah, they look for stoners and they deposit him with the stoners and then they go about their questing. Yeah. Stoners can't do much damage if they're chained up in a basement. Uh, there's no chaining up here, but they're on a couch. Except to the basement. Yeah. But wait, that's the same plot as fucking Hangover 2. It's like, the, yep. it's this Asian, it's medical school the next day, and they have to find him. I thought I Hangover 2 was a wedding. No, no, yeah, but don't, remember it's like the nephew, Ed Helms is getting married to Jamie Chung, and right? her nephew is the one who's missing. Oh my god, right? you're right. So this wow. is a finger, too. Even though he's gonna, it's going to med school, so his surgery is going to be kind of relevant to him losing a finger, and like the dad's like, "All right, crazy kid." I can't believe you remembered that much about Hangover Two, but that's yeah. right, isn't it? Yeah, that's really that's it, stunning. <laughs> well, it just infuriates me at the end because it all works out, and I'm like, "Wait, that would be such a lawsuit if you lost someone's kid and they lost a finger over <laughs> it the day before." I don't know, but he just makes a speech at the wedding where he compares himself to Cayenne Pepper. And then everyone's like, all right, let the lanterns go. Wow, you remember all that. Yeah. Wow. That's impressive. That's my 21 and over. Kelly, you know, you- I like Skylar Aston so much. I'm glad you brought him up because mm-hmm. he, he's, I mean, I mean he's, a very handsome, he's a very handsome dude, but when he shows up and you realize he's going to be the romantic lead in Pitch Perfect, you're like, he's kind of an unlikely, he, he just looks a little off. But he's perfect for the for the movie, and I'm glad to hear he's doing something else. Yeah, uh, and 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 I think too, Dingus, if you see Twenty One and Over, you'll come around on Miles Teller because he's got this very Vince Vaughn. He's annoying, but he's effectively funny, and they do some they do some really like he's just really good at riffing uh, in Twenty One and Over, um, and they know how annoying and grating he is. They know how much he natters. Um, so I can relate. <laughs> Well, the, the problem for me, I, I, I think I'm, I think with Miles Teller, I'm just blaming him for something that he shouldn't be blamed. It's really that's in Twenty One and Over. It's so clear that the problem in Spectacular Now is he was just horribly miscast. Yeah. It, well, it's not just that. It's that I think that the, the movie is a more interesting movie. It's if it's about Shailene Woodley's character. Right. I would rather she be the lead, the, the protagonist, and, and us not have to... It just feels like one of those things where, like, well, we have to be saddled with this male, and, and he's going to do things for the female, but she's the more interesting character, right? I, I just am I'm getting so tired of that. Fortunately, Dingus, the movie out for you shortly is uh, Fault in Our Stars. You know, I don't know that I can... <laughs> Come on, Dingus. She's got cancer. Have a, Give her a break, Dingus. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking with Dingus. On I'm that. just getting so tired even thinking about it. I love her so much, but honestly, just the I'm gonna watch a movie with something sticking out of her nose for the whole thing. I, I was at the supermarket today and saw one of those like Us Weekly magazines, and it had on the cover. My eyes just sort of went past it and didn't even register until I looked That's back. Okay. On the cover, it had the stars of Divergent. And it included this, whoever that douchebag is with her, but it had a picture of Shailene Woodley <laughs> that was so airbrushed that she was completely unrecognizable. I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, my God, what have they done to her face? Uh, Wait, what was the – they wanted her – they doubted her down because the story was like, look how they look without makeup. Is that what the story was? No, no, no. no. They, they glamored her because yeah. it's divergent and uh, it's appealing to teenage girls. Yeah, yeah. Um, because she's kind of—I mean, I don't mean this in a bad way. She's 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 not this conventional beauty. She's she's interesting looking, and there's this kind of 
not awkwardness, but there, you know what? There's an authenticity to her. She doesn't look like a movie star, and that's what I love about her. Um, so yeah, they, they just heavily airbrush her to make her look good on the cover of a magazine. That makes her more relatable to the teenage girls that they're trying to. I don't know. Do teenage girls read Us Weekly? I'm not that's sure. That's what I'm That's troubling to me. Preteens. Yeah. They listen to Us and read Us Weekly and split the difference. There's no difference. Thing is, give us a favorite, a number two favorite. Give us a line. Oh, I had a line for you guys. Ready? The line from, uh, uh, you guys wouldn't have got it. The line would have been, uh, Jesus Christ, we're playing suck and blow, people. Game faces. Wow. In the line from 21 and over. One of the quests they have to do. And What's this that is, game? This is a, suck and blow is a game, Kelly Wand. I'll teach it to you later. Uh, one of the quests that they have to do is drink a gallon of it. Th- like four people stand in a circle. Whoever can drink a gallon of milk fastest wins. Ew. I know, that gave me a stomachache just imagining it and actually watching it. Alan? That's actually the block of cheese. Oh, God. That, oh. that I could do, but drinking a gallon of milk, like like chugging it, like beer. Yeah. Holy cats. That line does sound like something Kristen Wiig would say, though. Holy cats? No. <laughs> Dingus, speaking of Kristen Wiig, maybe your number uh, two is from Bridesmaids? It is indeed not. My number two is uh, is from... A movie that has this line in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Billy, what worries me is how your mother is going to take this. Oh, God, that could be... Well, this, it's a movie with a kid named Billy in it, so that narrows it down. This is a kid. It could be an adult. That's a good point. It, it, could, it could be, be Billy be. Defoe in a biopic about his life. <laughs> Uh, I heard I saw a really crappy post-apocalypse movie that had a car chase scene in it, and apparently in this car chase they, they did that a, like a weird combo. I think it's, I'm going to come back to your line or hold that thought. I believe uh, you. Uh, it, it. They did this crappy uh, post-apocalypse movie with no budget, and while they were making it, they did a Kickstarter for their car chase scene. And I go to watch the video of the Kickstarter, and there's the director, who's some kid, and he's uh, he's pitching this Kickstarter, saying, we want to do a really good car chase scene in this movie. And the car chase is horrible, by the way. It's so awful. But in the Kickstarter pitch, he is saying, we want it to be like something from a Billy Friedkin movie. And I immediately <laughs> loathed this kid. I immediately was like, no, you do not call it Billy Friedkin. Like, you've worked with him or something like that. Oh, my God. Couldn't believe it. He doesn't have, even call himself. Have this kid, he's like twenty. He's like, he's like a twenty-year-old guy in 2014 referencing Billy Friedkin. No, no. <laughs> you can't do that with Lucas because his first grown up in Beverly Hills, and Billy Friedkin came over to their house like, "Hey, call me Billy." <laughs> with like a Romy Polanski movie. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> so anyway, Dingus, uh, give us the line again, Billy. Uh, All right. So you know, Billy, what worries me is how your mother is going to take this. Why would someone say that at a party? That's a terrible thing to bring up at a party. Actually, it said the morning after the party, and the character's mm. name is Billy Bibbit. Mm. Is it a party when it's... I guess that is a party. It's, it's a, a sad party, yeah. It's a Christmas party. Oh, that. Yeah. Oh, I forgot it was Christmas. I, I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah, it's and it's a big party. It's not It's not sad. It's, a, it's, you know... Okay, so this is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Um, and again, I was uh, looking for things that were significant to me, and then, I, and then of course, I realized that Tom said significant to the movie. Um, and so the moment where, um, the, the moment where he brings in, uh, and they're actually called Party Girls, which is what's great about that. In the credits, that's Candy Clark is Party Girl? No, but, but oh. when you're looking, like, when you're reading sort of like synopses and whatnot, because I was looking through. Oh. All the the things about who who's who and whatnot. Um, 
she is when they go on the boat. She's she's uh, they they're talking about getting party girls, and then he's he's asking them to come over to the 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 wards to have this Christmas party. And there's this this huge thing where they raid the the uh, the medicine locker, and they have this just this huge thing for them anyway on the on the ward. Um, so it's a very it's a big party for them, and of course for Billy Bibbit, it's a very important party for him. Um, I just I, I I love that that character thing that happens to him because of the party. Uh, Brad Dourif, Brad Dourif's character. That's a bummer. What do you mean it's a bummer? It's a bummer party. I don't know. It's kind of because you know what's going to happen. Well, you didn't say that I had to ha- choose parties that were successful. No, parties. I know. It's a, but it's a significant party in the movie. They have a Christmas party that has a huge impact on the rest of the movie and that's why I chose this no I know I, I didn't mean it like damn you dingus it's a bummer I was just feeling sad for Billy all of a sudden well yeah it's a very sad and that scene the after party scene and that's why I quoted from it uh, because I mean if you remember that moment where she opens the door and then closes the door when he's in bed with uh, with her and then brings him out and, and questions him um and he's just, he's so happy, and the guys are all clapping for him. They're all so excited. I mean, the party's been a huge success for them as people, uh, and she just clamps down on that and... Literally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Literally. Anyway, Wait, so- the one where he gets laid is a great party. I thought you meant the fishing trip. That one no, sucks. no, I don't mean the fishing trip. I mean the... Oh, uh, okay. No, the Christmas party's awesome. Where he, where, he gets, where he gets laid. Right. And that, that's the party I'm talking about. Oh, not, no, not this is good. The fishing expedition is, expedition is the one part of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest that I don't really care for because it feels like uh, the movie is so well contained, and now we're going to run off and have a, a a a scene that somebody else wrote from another movie. I understand that's part of the book and all that, but I, I don't like running off to to do the fishing expedition. It feels weird uh, because they're 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 in a place, and I really like how contained it is. So the party I'm talking about is when they break the girls in they raid the medicine cabinet and all these uh, all these hijinks ensue inside the place and then nurse ratchet comes in the next day and and has to deal with the fallout and creates the fallout basically because she she goes into billy's room or she opens the door to billy's room and he's there in bed with that woman and then she says you know you know she says that line I just said, and he says, well, you don't have to tell her. And, and she says, well, you know, your mother and I are old friends. So of course I'm going to tell, tell her. And then his, you know, his stutter comes back and all of that. So it's that, that party in, in the actual institution. It's not the, not the fishing. Expedition. The fishing trip kind of fucks up the Christmas party. Cause then it's, you'd think if they actually got out and did all that shit, they'd really keep the medicine cabinet locked tight and it'd be, they wouldn't be able to, uh, that just feels like everything. some sort of weird group fantasy. It doesn't feel like something that would really happen. I don't. I never. I, as much as I love One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, I never believe the fishing expedition. I just never believe it. But I believe Is it in the book. Like, I, I mean, I, it's been so many years since I read the book. I, I imagine that it is. But I love that this party happens. That that. That, that McMurphy brings these girls in, and that they, and that he does this for them. Um, and that it's actually sort of therapeutic. Uh, you know, I mean, I guess you could argue that if you wanted to, but uh, I think it's a beautiful thing. And then it then it just destroys Billy, of course, and ends up destroying McMurphy. Well, he doesn't know that 
she's going to be Ratchet's going to fuck it all up. Yes, he does. Oh, <laughs> he well, knows who she is. She's uh, she's an evil force in his world. Well, he doesn't think it's going to be enough to push Billy. I don't know. Well, he he, he, of course, he doesn't know what's going to happen to Billy because of it. I mean, or, and him. But he's they're all. I mean, at least he any, tried. God damn it. Uh, I have a quiz for you, Kelly Wand. Ready? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm going to name four actors. Tell me which one of them is not in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Hotel. Ready? Here we go. Four actors are Christopher Lloyd, Danny DeVito, Angelica Houston, and Vincent Schiavelli. Which one of those is not in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? Angelica Houston? Wrong. She's in it. Ha uh-huh. ha. So She's not credited. Apparently, she was an extra. Uh, I was looking up. It's not Candy Clark. The character's name was Candy. So I yeah. got that wrong. But yeah, so I yeah, the, do the, that a lot. IMDb says that Angelica Houston was an extra in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So I guess I'm dumb. So Kelly, why no, I set you up to all fail the quiz, and you failed it. All those people are in there. Right. Remember the one where Michael Keaton and Christopher Lloyd and Peter Boyle and Flounder... Escape from the mental institution, solve a murder, or their their doctor's kidnapping in Dream Team in the 80s. Well, should, should we see it? Do you recommend it? No. I just want to make sure you remember it for a second and then forget all about it again. I, I'm sorry. I'm, an, I'm a Dream Team apologist. I, I think I am, too. I remember thinking it was better than I thought. Like, Christopher Lloyd was kind of funny in it. Isn't he like the one who was like, he goes to the bar and goes, let's hug it out or something? Yeah, and uh, and like flounders the Peter Boyle is hilarious. I mean, they're going through a tunnel, and he says, "I will hold back the water," because he thinks he's Jesus. I will hold back the water. Yeah, yeah, it's better than loose cannons. (laughs) (laughs) The Dan Aykroyd, Gene Hackman, Tom's all fuck you guys. Well, it's no. What? Go ahead. I was done. (laughs) I want to see Angelica Houston, then hear what you said. Uh, I, I haven't seen Dream Team. I don't the, know anything about Saul's, it. Saul Zance is also in. Uh, I, I looked up the cast list at this this afternoon as I was uh, going through and writing my notes. And uh, Saul Zance, who's a famous producer, is also ha- also has a, like a, an extra role in um, in uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Like he he produced English Patient and Mosquito Coast and stuff like Dan that. Dan Aykroyd, he's the crazy guy in Loose Cannons. But he's also the crazy guy in Couch Trip, where he's like the crazy DJ, too. It just seems like he's and in Neighbors, like he's not, he doesn't, he doesn't play crazy as well as no, he. I know he plays at it. He doesn't. I mean, that's what's annoying about. I, I mean, I can remember the Loose Cannons trailer because I was working in a movie theater at the time and it was playing all the time. And he's just doing this. Whoop, 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 whoop. Yeah, he acts like Jim Carrey in the mask, but without the CG. Right. That's his craziness. I'm just saying that movie. I know it's. I know it's no longer out, but it might be a little overrated. Loose cannons might be overrated. Yeah. I'm constantly hearing how good it is. Yeah. It's it's no crazy people. It's a minor Bob Clark. Kelly Wand, what is your number two favorite party in a movie? I'm very excited. Yes. Oh, you're excited about one. Okay. This may be the only one. I don't know if you've seen this movie, Tom, but it's a quote. If you've seen the movie, you'll go, oh, yeah, that movie. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Birdie Num Num, Tom. Hmm. Someone By the way, a I bird. A, there's, a, there's a character named Tom in the movie. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't see this movie? You're weird. Uh, if it's Birdie, I've seen it. 
What? Hey, don't give away the last line of the movie. Ah, Jesus. Exactly. You said it. What's the matter with you? Spoiler. Seriously. <laughs> you didn't see The Party with Peter Sellers where he plays the Indian dude? Oh, no, I've never seen The Party, but that does seem like a go-to pick for best party in a movie. Did you only choose things that had the word party in the title? Ah, good point, Dingus. You might, we might... Yeah, yeah no, okay. it's just these two. That's a good point. That's true, it is a good point, whatever Tom said. But in this part, I don't want to spoil it, because it's kind of too good. Um, to so is there actually a party in the movie, The Party, or is it an ironic title? The whole movie's a party. Interesting. He's invited by mistake after he accidentally blows up a mountain by trying to fix his sock or something. So then uh, he goes to the rich director's party. It kind of jumps the shark when the elephant shows up. But anyway, this part's still early on, and uh, he doesn't know the intercom's on, and so he's feeding a bird really loud. But the point is, uh, like, why it matters to me, and it was that... Everyone in the party just kind of like, he's being super dumb on the intercom, but everyone's so drunk that they don't really remember and they don't comment on it for the rest of the party, which made me feel better about things I did at parties on the intercom. All right, the party from 1961, I believe. 68, all right. Well, I didn't see it that year. Uh, whereas Kelly Wan's, so far all of his have the word party in the title. So far all of mine have the number 21 in the title. Ah. So here's a, a line for you guys. What are you going to make up this time? Traffic, you're preaching the word. The entire congregation has been waiting for you. It's your party, remember? What's wrong? Kelly Wan, can you guess? I think, think it's 21 Jump Street. Oh, <laughs> I was going more from I the could have done player. a trifecta and picked a yeah, party. Seriously. <laughs> there's a good party scene in that movie. Uh, in 21 Grams, uh, there's oh. one of my favorite things about 21 Grams. We, we talked about this briefly where we had a three by three about production design. And 21 Grams has a lot going for it. But one of, one of the things that it has going for it that I really appreciate is this amazing production design where all of the places uh, where they shoot the movie have this the, the cinematography and the production design Every place looks like people's homes looked worn and lived in, and they're just adorned with all this detail. Um, the director did Amoris Paris, which was shot in Tijuana, and he made Tijuana look fantastically like, like colorful and squalid at once. Um, so 21 Grams, which I think is, I want to say set in Texas, I don't know, but, uh, I love the look of people's homes in this movie. And one of the characters is Benicio del Toro. Uh, he's married to uh, Melissa Leo in this movie. Who, Good God, I forgot how good she was in this. Um, and they're having a birthday party for him. And he is a, uh, a minister in some sort of a, I don't know if it's non-denominational, certainly not Catholic, but it's some sort of a, a church. Um, and Eddie Marzen is his is the the main uh, pastor at this church. I love Eddie Marzen in this movie. And so they're going to have a party. It's a birthday party for Benicio del Toro. And something horrible happens on the way to the party. It has to do with the events that that the movie revolves around. Um, and so as Benicio del Toro is driving to the party, when he arrives. Something terrible has happened, and, and his arrival in this big, huge, garish truck painted with like Jesus symbology uh, is—it's not what it should be. So when he drives up at this party, and Melissa Leo comes out to talk to him, and they realize something terrible has happened, the party quickly ends. But before he gets there, 
Melissa Leo at this party full of these people who are from this church um, and there's no alcohol at the party and we realize this because Melissa Leo comes into the kitchen and her friend who is Benicio del Toro's uh, sister, so I guess her sister-in-law, uh, opens the oven and pulls out a beer. And Melissa Leo is like, oh, you brought a beer. And there are these two girls in the kitchen who are not supposed to have a beer. <laughs> and, and, and she takes the beer from her and she drinks it. And it's a warm beer and she's so grateful to have it. And that just says so much about who she is, her relationship to her husband, uh, like what kind of church it is. Um, and, and there's not this oppress- oppressive sense to it. Like you're, you're no alcohol allowed. It's just that that's not a part of the lifestyle at this party. But that is probably a part of her background. And she's got these tattoos on her, too, and a nose ring. And and she looks rough. She looks like she's had a hard life. Melissa Leo does. And you get this sense of her background as opposed to her husband's background. Um, And when he drives up, she's also smoking a cigarette. And she puts it out in the sink, and she tries to wave the smoke away. And her sister-in-law squirts some some, like uh, mouthwash in her mouth and says, oh, wait, hold on, you know, so he doesn't know you're smoking. Um, but I love how the setup of this, I love how this party looks and how seeing Melissa Leo in this party says so much about her character and her relationship to her husband. And, of course, the, the arrival at this party is a huge, significant moment um, in, in terms of his life and the events in the movie. Um, so there's my number two favorite party is in 21 Grams. I didn't know they used the metric system in Texas. It is actually based on a Spanish poet. The, the, the title is based on a poem uh, by a Spanish poet. So That's the Sean Penn movie, right? Sean Penn and Naomi Watts, uh, yeah. Benicio Del Toro, and Melissa Leo. Yeah. Eddie Marzen uh, is full of fantastic actors. Yeah. It has the same plot as that Christian Slater movie, uh, Untamed Heart, where he has a baboon's heart. The funny thing about 21 Grams is if you were to tell someone the events of it, uh, it does sound like a soap opera. Uh, it, it really does sound like... Or a Ryan Reynolds, Jason Reynolds body switch movie. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. Uh, but hearts. it definitely... I mean, there, there's... I, I think the specifically South America has a weird relationship with their soap operas. That's such, such a big part of... And Graham's. Yes, television... Uh, in, in South America, in Latin America, and I guess Mexico, and in Aritu, uh, and Ariaga, who are the, the director and the screenwriter for this movie, I can't help but think they might have been influenced by that. And, and 21 Grams is melodrama in the classic good sense of the word rather than the way it's normally used to mean overwrought and super emotional. Um, but there is definitely something soap opera-ish just about the basic events. But there's nothing soap opera-ish, by the way, about the way that it's shot and, and acted. Um, so, all right, that is my number two party. So, Kelly Wand, it now comes down to you to tell us about your favorite party in a movie. Oh, no, it doesn't. Sorry. Dingus, give us a line from your favorite party in a movie. Um, here's, a, here's my favorite line from the, from before the, from a, the scene that leads up to the party. Um, uh, oh, no problem, baby. What kind of fish does she want to fry? It's a good party. It's a party that's very significant to the movie. I don't think things, uh, I don't think so. I don't think Kelly wanted to see this movie. Beast no. of the Southern Wild. He has. We made. We forced him to watch it. Oh, we did. Oh, good. Okay. Well, then Kelly Wan, I can't believe you're not getting this. And imagine it the up question, on his list as well. Imagine the question is being asked of someone who, as you're watching, you're thinking, is that is that Rosemary De- No, not Rosemary DeWitt. Who's the girl in the Lynn Shelton movies? Oh, um, with Emily Blunt and your sister's sister. 
Is it Rosemary DeWitt? Did I get it right? I don't know. Uh, Jennifer L. Oh, my God. Why do you guys not know this? You're both fired. I'm allowed to space on this stuff. You're not. Good job. Mark Duplass. <laughs> <laughs> Josh Hump Day. No, it is Rosemary DeWitt. So the actress in oh. Fruitvale Station looks a lot like Rosemary DeWitt, so much so that I was like, what have I seen her in? And I just realized that it was the fact that she looks like Rosemary DeWitt. So, sorry, Dingus, I outed what the movie was. Sorry. That's quite all right. This is the the mom's party uh, in Fruitvale Station, um, and uh, again, I was not going to oh, just, like one. random parties in movies because uh, you know, as Tom and I were talking this afternoon, Tom's like, "Yeah, you're gonna have a hard time because there's no parties in movies." Uh, I was just thinking about how he was just giving me a hard time. Oh. Um, I was just thinking about how much I love him shopping for the party. Uh, you know, at his job and that scene that he has where he's helping the girl pick out stuff for the fish fry and then the party itself. And, and at, it's, it's at the party that his mom encourages him or tells him to take the, uh, subway or, uh, what do they call it? Bart. Um, that's how he ends up doing it. And then, uh, you know, it, it was kind of a toss up between that party and the party that actually kind of happens on the train, which is sort of a party, um, that, that, that he kind of creates uh, because the train is stuck. But um, I'm choosing his mom's birthday party from uh, from Fruitvale Station because it kind of sets the movies. Uh, I don't know. It sets his fate because she sends him on the subway. Uh, Dingus, how do you feel about Octavia Spencer, who who played the mother in Fruitvale Station, uh, being oh. in the in the next uh, Divergent movie? What? What? Come on. Uh, I, I didn't see the last one, so it would be so unfair for me. Um, and it would be unfair to Shailene Woodley for me to say anything about it. <laughs> Kellyanne, will you watch the Divergent movies for us so that we don't have to? All right. Thank you. Tom, Tom will watch Catching Fire again if you do that. <laughs> he watched it already? Yeah. 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 He didn't like it, though. A couple of times. Uh, I don't like any of the Hunger Games movies. Sorry. They're not for me, though. Kelly Wan, what is your number one favorite party in a movie? I'm going to do a line from it. Awesome. I can't wait. <clears throat> Gene, you're slouching. <laughs> the last me, by the way. The other part's <laughs> acting. Is that airplane? Ugh, what? That's not a party. <laughs> That's a dance. Party. <laughs> so just totally different. Jane. So if it's Jane, uh, it's got to be MacGruber. Mm. Tom, he's talking shit about MacGruber again. Can't believe it. He just he hasn't seen it enough times to. There's a good party, MacGruber. Actually, <laughs> there is. <laughs> number one or number two? Remember that part, Dingus? Oh, poor, Chris, poor Kristen Wiig. What? What do you mean poor? Well, no, she's just so adorable oh, and put sure. upon in that movie. In, but, in in the butt. But in the butthole. <laughs> oh, she's so cute. Uh, okay, so can I guess oh. Zapped then? Hey, you're right. Oh, no. It's actually the grad day party. It's also got roller coasters in it, so it probably should have been on last week's. I tend to just pick topics that are a week out of date just because I feel bad like I left something off. But it also taught me that anything's possible on grad day. I mean, if your friend's got telekinesis, it helps, but, you know. All right, nice to see Zapped back after a while. One. All right, here's a line for you guys. Uh, 
you, neither of you will get it because Dingus doesn't appreciate this movie and, and Kelly Wand, I don't think, has seen it. Here's the line. <laughs> but I do appreciate it. I know what you're thinking. You don't have to say it. No need to tell me because I already know you think this party is a bad idea. So we saw a movie called uh, – a horror anthology called VHS, and the best part of VHS is a segment – I think it's the second one in the movie called Amateur Night, and it's directed by a fellow named David Bruckner, and you probably don't know his name because he's never made a feature film. He's never – uh, been exclusively responsible for a movie. He did the best part of VHS, and he did the middle segment of a movie shot in Georgia uh, five, ten years ago called The Signal. And The Signal is three directors from there. I think it's mostly local talent in Georgia, and they're making a kind of a triptych. The Signal is three different parts. Um, it starts off as a love triangle that takes place as a zombie, this is love triangle, and then there's a zombie apocalypse. And one of the members of the love triangle basically becomes a, a zombie. And it's not technically a zombie apocalypse. It's more about infectious disease where people get infected and they just start murdering people. So one of the members of this love triangle becomes infected. So the second part of the movie is this infected person going to a New Year's Eve party. And the whole point of this segment of the movie is to show the perception of people who are infected with this murderous, uh, delusional uh, virus or whatever it is that is being transmitted over this mysterious signal. And then the third part of the movie resolves it all. So the, the, the middle segment of the signal was directed by David Bruckner, um, and it features, I think, some very good actors in some really dark, funny – uh, comedic situations and it's almost like a stage play because it's this apartment during this this weird viral outbreak where everybody in the streets is murdering each other these people in this apartment are cowering there but they're all infected and they're not quite they don't they're not thinking straight and they kill each other and they beat each other up and they do horrible things to each other but they carry on as if they're at this new year's eve party and new characters show up and some leave and some of them get killed um, and it's just a great little black comedy, almost like a, a, a parlor room black comedy with with gore and violence and madness. Uh, so I love that middle bit of the signal with the New Year's Eve party. Uh, and by the way, it is, I think, where I first had this inkling that I really like this actor named A.J. Bowen. Uh, and he's the only one, unfortunately, going back and watching this middle bit of the signal I think three, four of the actors in it, I think, are really strong, including A.J. Bowen, but I think he's the only guy that was able to parlay this into uh, sort of make it a breakout moment for him because he's since done several really good horror movies. Um, I feel like The Signal comes up every week, but it's a different movie called The Signal every week. There is another one that you mentioned that looks yeah, the like... Yeah, science fiction one. Yeah, I don't know anything about it. Um, but this is not that one. This but there's like an Asian horror one, I think, too. But I think it's called Pulse, and I'm dumb. <laughs> Some signals do pulse, Kelly Wand. Oh, like guys uh, when he's in the... By the way, I don't know if you guys know this. Uh, A.J. Bowen, he's he's kind of like a buddy of mine. We're kind of friends. I don't know if you know that, but I just thought it... Pretty... Why are you saying it all like that? Well, you know, I, uh, I, I, uh, I, on Twitter, I Twittered... Yeah. I twittered a movie review that I, I wrote for a movie he was in, and he, he favorited it. Wow, you guys are pretty serious. Yeah, I'm kind of a big deal to AJ Bowen, apparently. Shit, that's favorites amazing. my my tweets. <laughs> I haven't felt this close to greatness since we were all invited to the Smurfs movie. That's right, we were, weren't we? Yeah. <laughs> so if anybody out there, you know, wants to 
you know, if you want to get in touch with AJ, he he might favor my tweets. So yeah, age as I call it. Age and Billy Friedkin usually play poker with you and John Hawks. (laughs) Nobody knows what you're talking about, Kelly Wand. All right, so uh, uh, there are our favorite parties. Before we do runners up, we do have some listener submissions. Jonathan J. Lando de Pratt, now who, by the way, I've said this before, I'll say it again, in his little Google uh, picture, he looks like A.J. Bowen. Uh, he writes, my number three is Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I know comedy is ruined by imitation. This is probably the biggest victim, I'll say. But when I was a kid and thought I was discovering a new form of humor, it was magic. The specific scene is the Knights of the Round Table song and dance. That is a party. I guess so. He says, uh, now I feel like I'm opening myself to mockery, I'll say, but may I remind you as a child, these were all very meaningful. So, in Return of the Jedi, at the end, after blowing up the Death Star again, the Ewoks rock the party with the Yo-Nub tune. Uh, yeah, I guess that's a party. For the ghosts, they're they're even hanging drinking. Great, yeah, boy, it's a party, brings out the ghosts. They use the Stormtrooper skulls as xylophones. Those aren't skulls, those are helmets. Whatever, nerd. <laughs> uh, let's see, then he writes, At a work party, Tom Hanks eats baby corn and fish eggs and ends up getting to F. Elizabeth Perkins. Even though it has been so long since I have seen it, I still remember the whole film. To the end, and the song Forget-Me-Nots will always remind me of Hanks and Perkins having sex. I was kind of a weird kid. Oh, I, I neglected to read his first paragraph. Um, his number one pick is from Big. Um, and the song at the end of Big, Forget-Me-Nots, will always remind me, he writes, of Hanks and Perkins having sex. Wait, when they do the trampoline? I guess they don't have sex. You'll have to well, You'll have to email him. He can't hear you right now and respond. So he's talking about the party in Big? Let's see. Yeah, we'll Where they do the dance in the Robert Loja? No, no, that's, uh, that's in the says, toy store. He writes, at a work party, Tom Hanks eats baby corn and fish yeah. eggs. And in- oh, that party. Yeah, yeah. That's a good the baby yeah. corn moment is a great moment. I love that because he eats the baby corn like you would eat a corn on the cob. He well, like, he's got the uh, thing on. He has it between his fingers and he, he like rolls it between his fingers and then uh, she says something. Well, anyway, go ahead. Sorry. In bachelor party, he does that too, but he's on cocaine. That makes all the difference, Kelly Warned. Paul Weimer's number three pick is also Return of the Jedi. Jesus. His number two pick, he says, in weird science, the crazy house party that Gary and Wyatt put on and eventually have to come to terms with the repercussions of is a reminder of the power of the social of a social outcast, a nerd, if you will, finding his strength and voice. <laughs> Paul writes, he's a geek. He's a nerd. He can relate to that strongly. He still does. Paul's number one pick. He writes in Mulholland Drive, the dinner party toward the end of the movie is a powerful reminder of lost love, of failed relationship, and ultimately speaks to the reasons why I moved from Southern California. Mm. I'm sure Mulholland Drive drove a lot of people out of the state. Get it? Chris Hobson writes, uh, he starts with a quote, uh, the answer the movie is from Your Highness One, Your Highness I. I hear that thing? Uh, yeah, I hear it. Thaddeus has his evening ruined by his brother's small malevolent squire, Julie, at his brother's party the night before his wedding. Why, does, why does he call it Your Highness One? He's hopeful. I guess so. The squire does the urethra impression with his bowl cut hair. Is that what he's talking about? I don't know. Everyone in the party. 
That's a great party. There's a long quote that I won't read. Oh. So I don't understand. Uh, yeah. And you don't like the movie. Um, I think I wouldn't read the quote even if I did like the movie. Sorry. Arthur Giovinangeli writes, number three, Scott Pilgrim, uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Michael Sarah's attempt to talk to Mary Elizabeth Winstead, star of Final Destination 2. Three. Uh, about Pac-Man. Oh, shoot. Rats. I ruined it. Use A.J. Bowen, I believe. Uh, he writes that uh, it's his attempt to talk to Mary Elizabeth Winstead, star of Final Destination 3, Kelly Wand, by the way. Uh, they're talking about Pac-Man, and the attempt goes so poorly that it produces this quote, I'll leave you alone forever now. And it gets him yelled at by the party's host, Aubrey Plaza. <laughs> that makes me want to see it again. Uh, Here's one we don't see on many 3x3s. Arthur's number two pick, Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen. Ugh. Sam Witwicky and his useless Ugh. roommate attend their first party. As opposed to Sam. Attend Sorry. their first party as college students. Michael Bay's sharp ab- observations about frat hierarchies makes this scene incredible. The handsome and fit frat boys are followed around by their squat little toadies who are desperate to be seen as being just as cool as their brothers. Hmm. Sam Witwicky learns from that. His last name is Witwicky? Witwicky. Good lord. Why can't you just be happy for me? <laughs> He's not in Transformers Revenge of the Fall. Oh. Arthur's number one pick uh, is The Perks of Being a Wallflower. He writes one of the movie's many good party scenes. In this one, Logan Lerman gets high for the first time <laughs> and ends up saying a little too much. Despite his numerous blunders, he ends up becoming much closer to Ezra Miller as his group of friends. I like the way this party looks and how it feels and how the feel of it shifts as the evening goes on. Wait, what's the movie? Uh, the movie is Perks of Being a Wallflower, which I have not oh, seen. Oh, I thought that was he was just saying. It's, okay. it's, uh, I think it's also a book. Uh, Shaheen and Beth Ali write, uh, they thank us for the podcast. You're very welcome. Um, and he says he doesn't have a lot of time for watching movies, but he loves reminiscing about them. So this is good for three-by-threes, Shaheen and Beth. Uh, here is picks for uh, parties. His number one, I'll, I'll go backwards. His number three pick, Doctor Strangelove. He says he may have broken the topic here, but the scenes in the war room remind me of a party. There is food and a lot of people talking. Isn't that a party? It's all dudes too. Furthermore, he writes, I re- <laughs> does that remind you of a party, Kelly? Watt? <laughs> Furthermore, he writes, work. I recently learned from Wikipedia that an alternate ending was to be a scene where everyone in the war room had a pie fight. <laughs> what? That would have been terrible. I know. Sam Wikipedia, right? That. Kelly, on part of making a good movie is knowing what not to film. Oh, my God. Shaheen and Beth Ali write for their number two pick. Kelly Wand, you'll appreciate this. Number two, this is the end. Ah, oh, that's a good party. Well, according to Shaheen and Beth Ali, he writes, My daughter insists this movie is pretty good. I don't really care for it, but the opening Apocalypse Party sets the tone effectively. Fair enough. Franco. The number one pick, Animal House. I have one word, he writes, Toga. I will never forget ah. the scene where Bluto smashes the guitar to splinters. Yep. That's a good one. That whole movie's a party. They get expelled and they have another party. Oh, they fuck up parade party. But wait, what was the number two one? The number two pick was This is the End, which I seem to recall you uh, yeah. liked more than me and Dingus. What are you, Tom, a hipster? <laughs> you don't like Forrest Gump? Didn't he put it on his list? Mm, I took it off when I saw Neighbors. 
David Henderson writes, his number three pick is a sentimental one. He says, my brother and I loved weird science in the climactic party scenes. The dorks get the girls they've been pining for. Uh, he also calls out a cameo uh, from Vernon Wells. I didn't know that. Do you guys even know who Vernon Wells is? The Hills Have Eyes guy? No. Oh, oh. God. Kelly Wand. What? I don't know who So disappointing. You. Vernon Wells is, uh, and I'm forgetting his name, the motorcyclist with the mohawk in uh, Road Warrior. Wes. Oh, yeah. Wes. Yeah. yeah. Isn't his name Wes? I don't like that party in Weird Science because it's, I can't tell what's real or not. That always irritates me. And John Hughes movies. Because it's like the bikers, she, Kelly LeBrock sends them there so that they can learn. Like, why can't they just freeze the parents? Never mind. I'll what have to see that? the movie at some point and get back to you. Mm. <laughs> uh, David Henderson's number two pick. He writes, while I was watching the party scene in The Kids Are All Right, I thought Mia Vasikowska's character would get drunk and sleep with her friend. However, all she did was give him a drunken kiss, and then she left. This scene made the point that the kids were indeed all right. <laughs> God, I love that movie. Thank you, David, for bringing that up yeah. again. She does that with Johnny Depp in Alice Wonderland, too. Oh, David Henderson scooped all of us. Uh-oh. Oh, this is terrible. This is an atrocity. None of us picked Punch Drunk Love. Oh, that's uh, a great one. Good choice. Yeah. Uh, David Henderson writes, I like the birthday party scene in Punch Drunk Love. It's hilarious how Barry's sisters pester him. And I love how everybody gathers around the long dinner table to eat dinner, and then Barry smashes the windows. The yeah. scene further develops Barry's odd character, and it makes the amazing crowbar scene completely believable. The, you know, just the staging of that. Like, like uh, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson is so good at just, just pace and energy and getting dialogue to snap. When Adam Sandler walks into the front door and the sisters say things to him, like right and left and one after the yeah. other and changing the subject and bringing this up and that up, and he's beleaguered and he's spinning. It's almost like a dance scene. Uh, it's just amazing how he walks into that kitchen with all of those girls. And then the, the, he, he goes in and they start introducing him to the men. And uh, it's like he's a ping pong ball. It's That's how every setup. party every party is fucking like that. You're on the clock. It's fucking magpies every day. <laughs> Kelly Wand identifying with uh, Barry Egan. Who'd have thought? Yeah. <laughs> Who would have? Fuck that screen door. We're going to have to ask you <laughs> to leave the restaurant, Kelly. <laughs> I guess it's not screen door. Sean Malloy writes, um, his picks revolve around the pillars of any great party. Embarrassment, public shame, and severe social discomfort. Hmm. Uh, he gives a quote for the first one, which is not in English, so I'm not even going to try it. Uh, the number three pick. Desperate to upstage a rival at her best friend's engagement celebration. Ma oh, Jesus. <laughs> so, here we go. Uh, Maid of Honor Kristen Wiig thanks mm. everyone in attendance for living in the house, in the school, and something that is apparently blue. By speaking in, uh, there's, there's awkwardness and abundance at this bridesmaid's shindig, but the escalating one-upsmanship of the toast scene delivers maximum embarrassment. And it's where she and, uh, he didn't write Rose this, Byrne. but I Yeah, it's where she and Rose Byrne are, are trying to be more <laughs> yeah. you know, whatever. It's hilarious. It's a great scene. And they're both really good in it. And Rose Byrne holds her own. Yeah, she really does. Funny. Yeah. That's why she got Neighbors. Oh, oh damn it. Uh, all right, let's see. For his number two pick, I think it's Amadeus, but he doesn't say. He writes, at an extravagant 
masquerade ball, Mozart does an unflattering Salieri impression, and a masked lurking Salieri learns the cool kids really are making fun of him behind his back. God is too. So that's either no, that's either um, that's either uh, Amadeus or it could be Hangover Three, which I haven't seen. But there's a Mozart character in Hangover Three. Uh, his number one pick, uh, Elena and her husband. Oh, this one makes me sad. I mean, just not sad. This is funny, but uh, I, I gotta love this movie. All right, so Sean Malloy, by the way, excellent pick. Um, Elena and her husband Ben arrive at a neighbor's party in a climactic sequence. It's actually not climactic. It's about the middle of the movie. In a sequence in the ice storm, and mm. whoops. Turns out it's actually a couple swapping key party. Mm. I love watching these characters try to keep up appearances against the backdrop of uncomfortable suburban sexual liberation while their lives are basically unraveling. Yeah, that scene where uh, Joan uh, Joan Allen and I forget the actor's name like leave the party and have sex in the car is just so awful. Uh, and whose keys is yours? Here's a quiz, Kelly Wand. Mm. Who is hosting the key party? Dingus knows this, so he can't find. No, who's hosting the key party? Oh, so Kevin okay. Klein and Joan Allen are the couple that attend. Who is the host of the key party? Toby McGuire and Kristen Dunst. Uh, so it's an early appearance. I think it's before West Wing, before anyone would really know who uh, Allison Janney was. Mm. Uh, she's the actress hosting the key party. Are you friends with her because West Wing? Uh, no. Or just AJ Crispin. But I do have a story where I embarrass myself in front of her, which I'll save for another time. She steals his pen. And he drips, he drops his pipe down her blouse. Dave Perkins writes, parties! Exclamation point. His number three pick, the most compelling moment of Cabin in the Woods was, oh good, the most compelling moment of Cabin mm. in the Woods was, for me, the celebration party with video of Dana versus the zombie on the wharf playing in the background. Mm. As evidenced by the line, uh, that he wrote and, so just so folks know, sorry, you, when you do movie quotes, that's awesome, but I suck at reading them, so I might not read your movie quote. I apologize. Uh, so Dave Perkins writes, as evidenced by the line I quoted that Tom was a dick and didn't read, Dana's heart almost overcame the divide between her and the engineers of her death. Uh, but then she's attacked. The camera pulls back from the video screen, and she's just a two-dimensional victim on a screen watched by just one person at the party. That is a great scene. And he didn't call me a dick, by the way. I was saying that uh, I apologize for not reading his line because I don't know what it's from. I don't know how to read it. Um, You're a dick. Oh, and this is a great line. Is this uh, – who's the West um, – Bradley Whitford. Uh, uh, yeah. so this is a Bradley Whitford line. He's watching the scene – I will read this, Dave. This is an awesome line. He's watching the scene of, of the girl getting savaged by the zombie, and he writes, it's strange. I'm actually rooting for this girl. She's got so much heart. When you think of all that pain, and, oh, tequila is my lady! Someone <laughs> brings him a drink. I did that line at a bar, and then the guy was like, oh, you're ripping off Cabin in the Woods. And I went, no, I always thought you'd seen it. What I love about that, Kelly Wand, is that a random guy at a bar knows a line from Cabin in the Woods. I, that, that speaks well for Cabin in the Woods' popularity, and it's deserved popularity. Seriously, and that's an up-top moment. You're like, up-top! That's great. <laughs> Uh, Dave's number two pick. The line is, jeez, oh, another one. This is devastating. Uh, the line is, okay, I'll throw this at you guys. Uh, Kurt, have you seen my wife? Anyone? Kristen Connolly's so fucking cute in that movie. 
Oh, wait, what? Yeah, talking Cabin in the Woods. So uh, this is a line from Boogie Nights. Uh, this is Little Bill's last line of dialogue in Boogie Nights. He soon finds his wife, walks out to a car, gets a gun, locks the car after getting the gun uh, at the same party, and, and then etc. It's a spoiler. What happens next? Uh, it's the same party. Pardon? Etc. Uh, well, spoiler. He, yeah. He, he, he flips out with the gun because his wife is uh, having sex with a bunch of dudes. Uh, you don't remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, now I do. Uh, at the same party, Scotty admits his love to Dirk Diggler. Uh, Dave writes, I guess I like parties that highlight the sadness and darkness in the soul that movies can express so well. Speaking of, his number one pick, he writes, is uh, Punch Drunk Love. Oh, but it's different. Wait, what? Uh, he says, one of my favorite scenes in Punch Drunk Love is toward the end when Barry calls his sister from Hawaii to ask where Lena is staying. His sister won't immediately help him, and he completely loses his marbles on her, even threatening her life. The dinner scene sets up the honesty of this threat. Okay. Wait, what? Uh, he's oh, he's talking about the later breakdowns and how that dinner scene early on where he breaks the window sets it up. But uh, basically what, uh, who was it? David Henderson mentioned earlier. Chris Hornbossel writes um, his number three pick. Um, let's see. Uh, at the end of Diner, there's a wedding party for Eddie and Elise. Think this is ringing any bells for you? Yeah, it's the wedding. It's the Elise is Gutenberg. Yeah, it's right. a, yeah. What, what does he like about it? Let's see. Uh, he writes a bunch of stuff. Let's see. Uh, we've had dialogue that suggests happy ending for many of the characters, but also that suggests that adulthood is likely going to pull friends apart. Um, at the very end of the film, at the reception, they do the bouquet toss, and after being batted in the air a few times, the flowers come to rest at a table where a group of friends are sitting. What I came to realize in school was that this scene felt like it was telling the guys at the table that it was okay to marry other people, to wed themselves to other experiences and be willing to grow up. That spoke to me in college because eventually you sort develop, you sort of, you sort develop, you develop interests and hobbies that push you into the adult friendships you'll have for life. Um, I became a grown up when I learned the popcorn trick. Well, what's great about that is, is I, I like the way that Chris puts that. It's Chris Hornbostel. Yes, yes. Um, because what makes the wedding happen, essentially, is that uh, the woman that he's marrying is able to pass the... Or she's not quite able to pass the Baltimore Colts uh, football trivia test. But he see, he gives her... He actually marries her anyway. And then that moment that he's talking about provides this beautiful final tableau that uh, that is sort of a freeze frame of of all those guys who have been together for so many years, and now they're standing there basically about to leave each other. And I, 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 that's, a, that's a very poignant way to put it. I like the way he writes that. Uh, Chris writes, um, the movie Kicking and Screaming, uh, the first Noah Baumbach movie, mm. uh, he says, for someone wandering aimlessly through his post-collegiate years, it hit me like a ton of bricks. It opens with a Pixies song blasting, and then goes right into a graduation party scene. I was hooked, he writes, just utterly smitten. I couldn't believe there were movies like this one out there being made. Um, the mid-90s through the early aughts were some kind of prime time for American independent films, and I feel like thanks to Kicking and Screaming, I jumped in at just the right time and had an interest in movies rekindled that's proven to be a lifelong affair. I actually remember so little about Kicking and Screaming. Maybe I haven't even seen it. I I mean, I've seen even that. seen Mr. Jealousy, which is a movie he did with uh, Eric Stoltz. Yeah. 
Wait, uh, what's kicking and screaming? I don't remember. Here's his well, line. Will what's... Ferrell is like a coach of a girls' soccer team, I think. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, the line is, and this actually sounds familiar, the line is, this this line could be in Francis Ha. Uh, the line that Chris gives from kicking and screaming is, well, I haven't been to Prague, been to Prague, but I know that whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Uh... Then Chris writes, um, let's see, there's a scene in Lost in Translation that I've always recognized myself a little bit in, and that's the party karaoke bar scene. Yeah. Thing is, did I tell people to make this relate to themselves? I think I might have accidentally... Uh, That's certainly what I heard. I didn't re-listen to that segment, and I I often do just to make sure on the wording, but what I wrote down in my notes was that it had to be significant to the movie. Um, But I spent the week thinking about it relating to myself. Well, I apologize to Chris because he's writing all this kind of autobiographical stuff that uh, if we had more time, I would certainly read through, but I think I might have misspoken about you're supposed to make it relate to yourself, in which I apologize. Uh, so at any rate, he writes, uh, there's a scene in Lost in Translation where he's always recognized himself in. Uh, Charlotte drags Bob out to hang out with her Japanese friends. And even though everyone's nice and everyone's friendly, you can sort of see Bob realizing that he doesn't belong there. When I saw this movie, I was in my mid-30s and had just relocated across the country. I had younger employees who worked for me, begging me to come out and hang out with them and come to their parties and just chill. I did that a few times, and I came to the same realization as Bob that I didn't belong there. It was a weird and frighteningly grown-up thing to realize that you're suddenly the old dude at the party and you really don't fit in. It's a rite of passage into what actual adulthood feels like. Uh, Chris writes, he also included this one because at the karaoke bar, Bob sings Roxy Music's More Than This, a song that I and very many other smart men looking to close the deal, so to speak, have recognized for its effectiveness on the fairer sex. Um, Which song? I might more, need to know that. Uh, it's uh, More Than This by Roxy Music. Hmm. So I'll put that on your iPod, Kelly Wand. What's an iPod? Speaking of the fairer sex, Gretchen Grasshoff writes that she took a different approach to the topic. She kept her picks to high school parties, and mm. she ordered them chronologically, uh, and how her perception of high school parties was altered after she saw them. She claims that she didn't attend a lot of parties in high school, but the ones she did were boring and far from the parties she'd seen in movies. I I really have to say I like that she did this because I almost went this way because I'd never – I never went to any parties in high school. I just remember kids in my high school going, yeah, we're getting a motel room. Uh, And I just couldn't imagine what the hell went on at those parties. I love that she did this. This is great. Uh, her number three pick. Uh, the quote is, I've never bagged a babe. I'm not a stud. <laughs> uh, it's from yeah. Candles. Jake's party colored my idea of high school parties at an early age. I grew up thinking that rich kids had these crazy parties where drunk popular kids get their hair stuck in doors, crash cars under the front lawn, dry hump on exercise equipment, and put pizzas on record players. This movie is bonkers, and I love it. I thought that, too, and I was always disappointed that none of those things happened. And I thought, maybe I'm just not invited to those parties. <laughs> just this shit. I've still never seen that movie. What? It's really good. I'm sure it is. I just, uh, I think it's one of those window movies where I felt like the window closed. And I just never I'm just surprised you didn't see it by accident sometime. Because it's kind of, I don't know. Is that the one where they're all in detention? No, that's... 
her number two pick. That's <laughs> a library party. That's a stealer. Uh, Gretchen Grassoff's number two pick is Can't Hardly Wait. She says this actually came out when I was in high school, so it felt a bit more grounded, yet it still had its typical characters. Of course, I identified with Lauren Ambrose's character, the antisocial girl you weren't even sure went to your school. Plus, I never went to a high school party that had decorations or dancing. Don't kids just stand around, get drunk, and make out? She asks. She's in the bathroom with the dude she likes, and then he fucks it up somehow. Like, he's got a sure, he's got it all figured out, and then someone's hair gets stuck in the door and a car crashes into it or something. Isn't Lauren Ambrose the girl in Six Feet Under? Or no? Yeah. Yeah. Lauren Ambrose. What? She's not? No, I I don't know what I don't know what you're talking about, but I just I have a picture of her in my head, and I love Lauren Ambrose. She's like, yeah, she's like a redhead in Six Feet Under. What movies has she been in besides Can't Hardly Wait? Which uh, Where the Wild Things Are. She was in that. She replaced Michelle Williams's voice. Oh, but her personage was, or like her her visage wasn't in it. Mm, Six Feet Under is kind of like a movie. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, Gretchen's number one pick. Um, I, oh, okay. I will read this line just because I love this movie. I wouldn't normally read this line. Here goes. <clears throat> she wants to fuck me. She wants my dick in or around her mouth. The line is from Super Bad. Yeah. Gretchen writes, this came out way after I graduated, but I remember trying to get alcohol and how difficult and time consuming it could be. This movie captures all the struggles of trying to get drunk, score with your crush, and all the bullshit that came along with it. Plus, that whole bloody pants scene, I actually saw that happen at a party. Oh. No, come on. Gretchen, yeah. then, Gretchen then says that her mom listens to the podcast and she apologizes to her mom. I would also like to apologize to Mrs. Uh, Grasshoff for reading the lines that your daughter quoted from this movie. I she apologize. No, I, th- that was That's me. That's you editorial. Tom being a gentleman. Yeah. That's Tom hitting on Mrs. Grasshoff. You know, Superbad also – go ahead, Dingus. No, go ahead, Tom. Superbad also does capture just how wacky the police are. Right. Yeah. The way Ron Cop says that I have <gasps> Oh, Tom's just so upset at me for not watching Because of all the people – I watch Ron Cops and I'm like, God, nobody's going to like this movie. I don't know anyone who would enjoy this as much as I'm enjoying Hopefully. it. Everyone would hate this. Hey, Kelly Wand. He should it's watch not- it. Yeah. <laughs> I will. I'll watch it tomorrow night. Uh, Dingus, what were you going to say about Superbad? I considered super bad, but the two things that turned me off about it were that blood, that blood scene, which I can't imagine. If, if she actually saw that happen, I cannot imagine that. And then putting beer into those um, detergent containers that would oh, never God. work. That would never work for so many different reasons. It's such a stupid thing. I hate that so much. Um, but I like that that we're all driving towards that. No, it's that. You're never going to get all the residue of detergent out of one of those containers. It, the beer's just going to taste like Tide. I mean, I hate that so much. See, I already hate beer dingus, and you're making me hate it even more. Just imagining beer tasting like Tide. Well, imagine like trying to clean out a bottle that has detergent in it. And you, how many times do you have to rinse it? I, I'm just, I, when I, I was so distracted by the practical aspect of that, and then pouring beer into it. I, I couldn't stand that aspect of the movie. Kelly Wan, what was the movie um, where Dingus got upset because it wasn't raining right? Wasn't that an education? Uh, yeah, it was an education with... Uh, it was infuriated. Hey, Tom, I know you like cider, but do you like tighter? Because it's got the tighter. <laughs> <That's laughs> that cider that you put in a detergent container. That's very good. Yeah, tighter. Very nice. Hard, I didn't miss the, wand, the, the window to make that joke, Kelly. The wando. <laughs> Boom. 
Um, what did you guys think of the party scene in Superbad where Jonah Hill gets stabbed in the back with a knife and he That's turns around? To... Ah, you're ah, you're good, Kelly Wand. I was going to try to trick you. You're trying to trick Dingus through me instead of letting me in on the, your little gag with your. You should have Skype chatted me and gone check this shit, bro. Josh writes, as his number three pick, Conan the Barbarian. He says his dad introduced him to this gonzo epic when he was like six. Oh, that one. Uh, That statement's just going to have to sit there. Wait, what? Then he continues. The bar party or the James Earl Jones? Then he continues. Kelly Wand, you don't know how to let a statement just sit there. I'm sorry. Then he continues. The scene where Conan and his homies sneak into Thulsa Doom's weird orgy and dump the giant punch bowl full of green stuff and hams. I guess it was their version of fondue. Freaky. Conan and his homies. Why is that significant to... uh, Well, seeing that when you're... Grass off. Seeing seeing, uh, Conan the Barbarian when you're six, that's got to be a life-changing experience. What about the Momoa one? What's that change? First... You bring up orgy just... Because we had to watch Sexy Beast lately for something. Why did I have to watch that again? (laughs) What? Oh, because because uh, of Under the Skin, I watched Sexy Beast again, and it has the unsexiest orgy party ever. Just like old old folks sitting around having an orgy. It's just the beast part. Kelly, one, there's a lot of nudity early on in. Uh, uh, you know what? Never mind. Uh, <laughs> I'm not interested. Whatever it is. Josh's so number two pick is a movie called Fubar. He writes, <laughs> "If you haven't seen this masterpiece of Canadian fuckhead drinking culture, sorry, <laughs> sorry, apologies to Mrs. Uh, Grasshoff. Uh, nothing I write here can prepare you for how rad it is. <laughs> a mockumentary about two 80s-styled metalhead retards careening through their lives like a couple of flaming monkeys. Harry and the Deaner." turn the verb form of party into a religious edict, spending their time getting shittered with exactly zero regard for what day of the week it is, like God met them on the mountain and handed them a 2-4 and the keys to the Trans Am. The best party in the thing is the one where the pair (laughs) drink their faces off waiting for a buddy who never shows up and end up tagging some incoherent curses on the sidewalk. F. Yeah. That happens in the thing? I've not seen Fubar. Uh, I feel oh. like uh, maybe I should. Um, I forgot my question to you. Well, let's go to Josh's number one pick. Okay. It is the Wicker Man. Ah, that's right. That's a party. I agree with the it. best parties are rituals. This movie is sort of the This movie is sort of like the pagan days. Kelly, <laughs> why did you just blow your nose into the mic? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Josh writes, the movie is sort of like a pagan dazed and confused. It's all just build up to the big jam. Every minute of this movie is solid gold. The part where one party goer can barely contain his pride in dressing up as the salmon of knowledge. The part where Christopher Lee snaps at the disguised Edward Woodward to, quote, cut some capers, man. The part where Ingrid Pitt casually oozing Eurosex as the bathing librarian. Uh, he writes, don't get me wrong, though. This goes way beyond irony. Lee is stellar. Woodward is intensely dedicated. And he's selling the absolute shit out of getting burned alive. Best party ever. Well, Britt Eklund does the naked dance, but I guess they used a stunt double and she was she regretted not doing it herself. Because she said her ass is better than the double they used. Is that what you're talking about? You're talking about the Nick Cage one. Uh, <laughs> no one's talking about the Nick Cage one. Ever. Oh. 
Because I know his dance and that he did. He insisted. Uh, is it, is, he said Ingrid Pitt, though. Is, I thought... She's the uh, the matriarch. Who's the chick? Who works for Christopher Lee. Who's the one he has sex with through the wall? Bert Eklund. Oh, and Ingrid Pitt. You know what? I, re- I may not know Pitt is. She was in all these Hammer Horror movies, right? Yeah, she's the other hottie. It's weird, because it's, it's a female druidic thing, but Christopher, it's run by Christopher Lee. Which yeah, but he wears a kind of a femi wig kind of thing. Yeah, that's true. He, and he, he has, has a feminine kind of voice. Yeah. Right. yeah. Aaron Vaughn writes, here are my scenes for, here are my choices for party scenes in movies. Um, number three, Return of the Living Dead. I like this one. Mm. Uh, the kids all have a party at the local cemetery. <laughs> I'm not sure how they do it these days, but back in that day, this party wasn't officially hopping unless there was full nude dancing, acid rain, and a rising zombie invasion. Euphemisms. I miss Return of the Living Dead. I miss when they made zombie movies like that. Uh, instead, and, of instead of World what? War Z. Oh, God. Without any parties. I miss when Dan O'Bannon was alive, making movies like that. Aw. Sad. Wow. Uh, number two for Aaron Vaughn, Beetlejuice, the Deo party scene. The oh, yeah. party where they're handed their meals. Better than any party I've been to, he writes, at least, dead or alive. I don't know what that means. Kelly, want to uh, explain to me? Or Dingus? What do you want yeah. to remember it? Yeah, what party do you need? A Deo party scene? It's yeah, the, trying uh, to scare away it's the... Harry, uh, it's Harry Belafonte, the Harry Belafonte scene. Where, um, in order to scare them, he, she makes them, or the, the ghosts make <laughs> right. them all lip sync. Deo, Deo. It's terrifying. The it's dinner party. It's a terrifying scene. And then hands push them back from their fondue. It's is pretty, it, pretty scary. Is it better than it sounds? No. It's awesome. Seems- no, it's, it's much, oh. it's, it's, a, it's a great scene. It's, oh. it's iconic. It's, uh, it's an iconic lip syncing scene. <laughs> I don't remember. It's like Dancing Mania, Tom. It's like they have that. Huh. It's like Just an ex- paranormal explanation. Jeffrey Jones and Catherine O'Hara lip-syncing Harry Belafonte. It's so great. I don't understand. I like the part where they go to hell and the guy slides through the cable slot. That part was good. For real. I thought that was funny. Beetlejuice, I, I maintain that that's, his, that's Tim Burton's best movie. You guys always like Ed Wood. Ed Wood. We like Ed Wood. We like those movies. Beetlejuice but doesn't have enough Johnny. It doesn't have enough Johnny Depp, Dingus. That's a good. It's one. just enough. <laughs> it has. It has plenty of really great Alec Baldwin. Oh, that's right. And Gina Davis. And also, Winona Ryder. She looks like a kid in it. Oh yeah. I, mean, I, I just saw this uh, like last weekend. Um, what? Yeah. I just yeah. I I really really love that movie and Jeffrey Jones for whatever happened to him or whatever he turned out to be. Um, he's really funny in it. Everybody's funny in it. It's weird. He's playing a lot of movies. What happened to Jeffrey Jones? He got arrested for having child pornography on his computer. Oh, fine. That's fine. Okay. Well, he's a good actor. That's all cops. Look, it's really good for Bueller. Simulates getting mauled by a dog comically. Dingus, I don't want to know that. Why did you tell me that? That's going to ruin me. What? Isn't he the? What other movies is it? What do I mean? Is he in Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Yeah, he's in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But I'm sure you're thinking of him from um, Hunt for October, (laughs) the engineer that Alec Baldwin goes to consult. Oh right, uh, Seaman Otis. 
name is not Otis. Uh, I didn't want to know that about him, Dingus. You asked? Uh, Isn't well, you he it up? 12 Years a Slave? You're thinking of Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti, sorry. <laughs> anyway, Aaron's number one pick is Gremlins. He writes, once the Gremlins have turned, they hit up a bar and trash the place. Every element of a party is conveyed through births, <laughs> mothers, like and graphic, non-faked physical gestures. Thank you, Aaron. Any of which would make John Belushi feel right at home. All right, gentlemen, what do you have for runners-up for parties? Um, I like the one in Arlington Road where Jeff Bridges goes to Tim Rob, his neighbor's party, and they're all terrorists, but he's all, what? <laughs> he's He seems like, it's like a barbecue, but he can't, he's too freaked out to call the cops and go, hey, there's a bunch of terrorists having a barbecue. No, but they've got someone hostage or something. Yeah, that's true. They have the kid. They have his kid. So he can't. And then they give him back, and then he still doesn't do anything. Uh, he blows himself up at the end of that movie. What do you mean he doesn't do it? Not anything? on purpose. No, they do. They make him do that. What do you mean not on purpose? Well, right, but he does it. Yeah, but he. That's not. He fails. So I can say. I think that's quite an accomplishment. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like it's not like thirty minutes or less. <laughs> it seems weird that they would pin all their hearts. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm being reminded of a lot of movies I never would have thought of again if you guys hadn't have brought them up. Like Godzilla. <laughs> Speaking of 30 minutes or less, uh, I saw the new Jesse Eisenberg movie. I really want you guys to see it. It's a Kelly Reichardt movie called Night Moves. Right. Let's do it next week. and It opens. Is it next week? Let's do it next week instead of that silly X-Men. No, oh, we have to do X-Men. No, right. nobody wants to see that. Nobody on this yeah, podcast X-Men. cares about that movie. We have, to, we have to do people listen to the superhero ones. All right. So we're going to see X-Men. You know, I, I, Godzilla has just right. leached all enthusiasm for anything the entire summer out of me. I Wait, just, Rogue leeches your... But think of this. You were you were sort of excited to see Godzilla, and you don't want to see X-Men. Days yeah, and you, were, you didn't want to see uh, Avengers. Remember, you were like, oh, Avengers, fuck. And now it's like your favorite thing. <laughs> Isn't X Men directed by Brett Ratner though? No, it's, no, it's Ryan Singer, but it's Ryan Singer, another person who's having certain problems. Dingus, don't tell me those things. I apologize. I don't want them to color my movie going experience. Yeah, I kind of don't care. Like, don't, I sh- don't tell me about Vincent Selva, the guy who did Powder. Don't want to hear any of that. Um, well, because everyone else who worked on the movie kind of gets fucked over on it. You know what I mean? It's like they're not they get tarred with the same brush, and you know. Don't tell what, me about Polanski. Don't say tarred. Yeah, so wait, we can't. I can't enjoy Rosemary's Baby because of a just a little rape. It's like, oh, well, well, not, I, was well to, it was, I was trying to introduce a little levity, Kelly. Yeah, and I picked Ghost Rider that year. So now oh, with Nicholas Cage. In '68, you mean? Yeah, it's awesome. That was a pretty competitive year with Billy Friedkin's Ghost Rider and. Uh, so somebody, I really hope. I mean, it is. I really hope this Brian Singer thing doesn't turn into anything substantial because that's. I mean, it's like kind of disgusting to hear about the allegations, and I just would love for this to turn out that it's just some money-grubbing guy, or there's some settlement. But uh, yeah, it really is disturbing to, to have that kind of stuff sort of put in your brain when you're watching a movie. It really is, yeah. And I know, yeah, like I know Dingus, like that's, you know, you can't help but, you know, you're appreciating Carnage or Ghost Writer, and, and that's, you've got that disgusting little worm in your head uh, about, you know, what Polanski apparently did. And I felt bad, I felt kind of bad about putting it on my list. I mean, it was one of my ten favorite movies of the year, but I'm I'm sitting there thinking, uh, how do I? I mean, where do I segment this? Right. Do I, not, do I not choose it? What do I do? Well, you know, Kelly was being glib, but I really do think there is something to that. Is no matter what a rep, no matter how reprehensible a person might be, 
does that really have anything to do with what they've created and whether or not you should be able to enjoy it? And yeah, because like Tom Cruise was doing the Scientology thing when War of the Worlds came out, and it didn't really impair. I don't know. Well, I, I would put that in a different category, other than like. I mean, Trump. I would I would say like I would bring up Woody Allen before I'd bring up Tom Cruise. Oh, right, 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 exactly, Dingus, exactly, right. But that's like a marital thing. It's not just a marital thing. It's yeah, no, the Woody Allen your daughter. Fully disgusting. Yeah, I yeah. mean, just you know that. But that they're relationship still together. So. So, okay. I, so back in the Egyptian times, it was like they got married at three or something, didn't they? <laughs> I'm not well, uh, it's been a long tradition of marrying brothers and sisters. Anyway, <laughs> so let's see. Dingus, what is next week's 3 by 3 I do have a couple of of, uh, of, uh, of runners-up. Runners-up. Um, somebody, and, and this, a couple of these popped into my head as you were reading Tom, the, some of our listener things. I mean, I did love that that party from Big. And the the moment I'm thinking is is that is she says to him, well, your ideas were very incisive, and and she goes on with her line, and, and Tom Hanks just this great thing where he just mouths the word incisive because he's a little kid who doesn't know what that means. But uh, the other one is somebody brought up Doctor Strange Love, and that and it, and earlier this week I was thinking of the opening party in Failsafe where Walter Matthau is holding forth on his philosophy of of how the clerks are going to survive because they're uh they're surrounded by paper but it's this weird <laughs> it's it's the what? middle it's yeah because they're they're surrounded by all of this paper and and the is that true and the because yeah well no it's just his his impression oh, of, okay. of how the apocalypse is going to take place um so i love that opening failsafe sort of weird cocktail party that has gone into the early morning hours where the sun's just coming up and they're standing around still drinking cocktails and talking. Um, I, I, that's just one. And also the, the other one is, uh, this sad little birthday party in short term 12. Uh, even your bummers. Yeah. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, they were trying and it was, it actually turned out to be a great birthday party when she found out what everyone had done for her. Right. But then she just leaves. Well, she's got issues, Dingus. She does. They all do. But I, I, I just love it's so sweet and how he goes in and gets them all to, to do uh, cards for her and drawings for her. It's, it's. There's a sweetness too leading up to it. Uh, anyway. Parties are rituals. I agree with. Uh, I think. Uh, do we have any more uh, runners up? Do you want? Well, every movie has a party, so... Every- Kelly Wand, you didn't bring up the Eyes Wide Shut party. It seems like they'd be right up your alley. <laughs> every, time, every time somebody mentions party, I think of the wrestler when she when he picks up that girl and she goes, party? Like a fireman party? And then he has to dress up like a fireman to uh, have sex. Frankenhooker's got a good party. Uh, we should have ended with Dingus mentioning the wrestler. That's way better. You can't top that, Kelly Wand. Don't even try. <laughs> Admit we should have ended it with something Dingus said. <laughs> Speaking of things Dingus says, Dingus, why don't you tell us what next week's 3x3 is? All right, next week's 3x3 is inspired by something I saw in this week's movie, Godzilla, which you did see, Tom. I don't remember. Who was in that? You didn't see the the monster, but you saw the movie. Well, uh, two people who were in it were Brian Cranston and Juliette Binoche. No, I don't think so. I don't recall. If they were in it, they couldn't have been in it very long, because I don't remember any of that. Huh. All right, so oh, so the, your three by three is movies with Brian Cranston and Juliet Binoche. Uh, no, not really. <laughs> um, there's there's a great uh, thing at the beginning where um, I don't know why this I don't know why this is, but for some reason radiation you can outrun radiation as if it were 
a cloud of water. Yeah, you can see it. You can also tell when you're inhaling the air whether or not it's radioactive by just taking off your gas mask. And if it's radioactive, it'll peel your face off, of course. So, yeah, we learned a lot about radiation in that movie. In Chernobyl Diaries, there's also a lot of science. It makes bears ornery. We know <laughs> so um, I'm glad you brought up the thing that I'm going to talk about. And all I'm going to say is your three favorite gas masks in movies. Oh, that's a great one. <laughs> Love it. Wait a minute. There's so many good ones. Huh. Yep. I, uh, there's a lot okay. of lame ones, though, huh? So these are your three favorites. They can be lame. They can be great. So That's, these are your three favorite gas masks. This is very or, or use, uses of gas masks, masks, or ones that were significant. Yeah, no, and you know what? Stop talking because now I'm wanting to say things and ask questions and bring up points. But we should save it for the three by three, right? Mm-hmm. I know which one you're thinking of. If you, no, you don't. Shut up, Kelly. Yeah, I do. All right. If you're listening and you have uh, <laughs> three favorite or two uh-huh. or one, as many, uh, you know, send us your favorite gas mask scenes, uses of the gas mask, to three by three at quarter to three dot com. That's the number three. The letter X, the number three, and then the at sign. That's shift two, and it's above there. Uh, and then you write out quarter to three dot com, and it'll uh, make its way across the internet to us. We will read it on the air. Um, and then we will be seeing Night Moves, directed by Kelly Reichart. <sighs> no, we won't. Oh, we won't. Stop, Stop it. Uh, it's not coming out for several months. I um, actually I think you're right, Dingus. It is the end of the month. So here's a well. Listeners, actually, if you want to be privy to how this podcast get, gets made, so on the 30th of this month, nothing opens that we want to see except Night Moves, but we could also do a podcast for Enemy, so we have to pick. Yeah, Wait. I've been sort of champing at the bit to do Enemy, but if we get to that point and we want to do Night Moves and we can see it, I'm fine. We'll see after. We'll see how we feel after we see this Brett Ratner X-Men movie that you guys... Stop it. Stop saying his name. <laughs> He really nailed the Phoenix saga. Well, you know, we do have a Brett Ratner movie coming out this summer, and you know who's in it? Tower Heist 2, Snoopy Float. <laughs> Johnson as Hercules. Oh, yes. Oh, wait, I have a book for you. If any man if any man can overcome the turdification that Brett Ratner applies to a movie, it is Dwayne the Rock Johnson, I maintain. Oh, I thought you meant Hercules, who's only half man. That's a good point. We'll see if the movie uh, explores what that means. I only make good points. <laughs> uh, so send us your picks for uh, Best Gas Masks and join us for a discussion of X-Men, Days of Future Past. Dude, it's going to blow your mind. Really? Simple, okay. Well, the comics were good. It's okay. covered two single comics. I'll tell you what happens in it. Uh, you'll, you'll be our source material. Yeah, yeah. I'm a real huge you know fan of source material. you know that this, this thing is based on comic books? Did you read Days of Future? Did Kiernan read Days of Future Past? The no, he hasn't gotten there yet. He's reading uh, X-Men books, but not that. Hmm. I don't know if I approve of books. <laughs> <laughs> All right, join us for that. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by uh, Christian Malinsky. It's Christian Moroski, not redacted. And Kelly Wand. It wasn't a transformer. Francis. <laughs> I just want to say I put as much thought into the music for this week's podcast. It's got so as legendary pick. Yep, there you go. <laughs> legendary pick. There, there was somebody in our theater when we went to see Godzilla who was snoring so loudly that half of the theater, literally half of the theater, was looking over at the guy. 
That was Gareth Edwards, by the way. And somebody finally, some sweet guy behind him got up and tapped him on the shoulder and like, hey, wake up. Was his snore like Godzilla's roar sound? More interesting. I so. Well, Dingus, I think we learned a lot about the perils of radiation and the ocean. Uh, where is Godzilla? <laughs>